This week on Retronauts. To my side, my noble Einherjar. everybody welcome to retronauts live episode 24 a very special episode because we have two very special guests you know what before i announce my topic let's introduce them who are my noble and harry are for today who's on my right hi i'm christian nutt uh, features director of gama sutra christian is a great guy who i just met recently and he's been an idol of mine in the games journalism industry so well, thanks it's an honor to have you here sir uh, thank you and then we have cat bailey hi oops sorry i gave it away I'm back. Okay, who are you again? I'm the associate editor over at GamePro. Yes, and actually Kat and Christian and I had a discussion on the previous role players realm about Japanese RPGs, and we'll be continuing that discussion today on Retronauts. How do you guys feel about that? Oh, absolutely great. Uh, this is my favorite topic, pretty much. It's yes. like those crossover episode shows on NBC, where you're like, you have like ER and some crappy cop drama. Oh, right. Does I... anybody who listens to this remember ER? No, but I, th- I think we talked about this, and uh, I remember the the crossover event on ABC where Urkel flew on a jetpack to Full House House. I think he visited Step by Step House and then some other show. Perfect Strangers was also in the same... Uh... Oh, okay. Maybe he visited Larry and Balky, too. That'd so be great. That's, that's like, a dream come true. This is just like that, only it's actually entertaining, right? <laughs> right. And you probably care more about it. But before we go into our topic, let's talk about some retro news. Extremely uh, self-centered retro news, but I just wanted to note that uh, Retronauts, the podcast, is five years old as of this Tuesday. That's right. Uh, October 4th, 2006 was the very first episode, and it was about Final Fantasy III, the then-recent DS remake. Uh, and since then, it's been through multiple multiple formats, changes, revivals, and I just want to say that I'm very proud to be part of Retronauts, as I said before. And um, it's very uh, interesting that this is the only, I think... Um, out of all the initial one of podcasts, this is the only one to survive. So hmm. we're the strongest, I guess. Oh, I guess that's true. I started out as a listener, actually, but Retronauts was my first podcasting experience. Me, uh, like as as a as a guest. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my first episode, my first episode podcasting ever was TGS two thousand eight. Oh, okay. Um, we were in a hotel room. Chris Kohler was there. Uh, Parrish was there. Um, Nick Marigos from Atlas was there, and I was completely afraid to say anything were you starstruck i was very starstruck and like when jeremy asked my my opinion i felt like i was babbling oh and i'm still babbling 
And that's why I started a podcast called Active Time Babble. Look where you are today. You're the host of your own podcast. Yes, I am. See, Jeremy knows how to pick them. How about you, Christian? I know I know you've been on the show a few times. Yeah, I have. I uh, I mean, I love this podcast. I love talking about old games. I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of more of a, it feels time wears on. I'm sort of more becoming sort of a gaming curmudgeon anyway. So yeah. So this kind of suits me. This podcast is for curm- curmudgeons. Mm. Hosted by curmudgeons and there's the guests are curmudgeons, so. Yeah, and I... Uh, I mean, I just have really good memories of being, like, I did the uh, Fantasy Star one. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. And the East one, which, you know, yeah, I love East. Oh, the Fantasy Star one. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, that was, I learned so much. It was you and Shane. And Milky, too. Yeah, yeah, you could not ask for a better I didn't realize that Fantasy Star basically defined Shane's childhood. Yeah, (laughs) I thought thought it was that in Zelda. Man, this is like, uh, we know way too much about people that used to work here. (laughs) Well, you know, when you're like, I listen to Retronauts every week, riding the train to work. And so uh, they were like my virtual buddies that I got to meet. They were. And I have to say, like, Retronauts was the first podcast I ever listened to. I, I guess I jumped in kind of late, or maybe that was early, I'm not sure. But And now it's kind of a sickness where I subscribe to, like, 20. Only a few are game-related, unfortunately. I sort of burned myself out on those. But, yeah, I, uh, I think my first episode was, uh, I think I called in when Majora's Mask came out on uh, Virtual Console. And I got to talk to Jeremy and Sharky about that. And like you, Kat, I did feel like I was babbling, but no one complained, mm. so... It was a good. It was a good run. I think the good sign of why I like Retronauts is that when I don't get on to one that's got a topic that I love, I, I feel I feel like oh man, I missed out. Oh, mm. has that happened recently, Christian? I'm sorry if it uh, did. I don't know about recently, so to speak. I uh, I can't. Yeah. I know we're batting around ideas, so I don't know which ones that like you know came to fruition and which ones. You haven't. missed a, a good Star Fox chat. Oh yeah, yeah, that was. Fun. I say that because mm. I was on it. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was a good episode too. Cool. But uh, I guess, anyways, we should move on because this is kind of self-centered, and just we're all patting no, ourselves no, on the back. No, no, let's be more self-serving. Yay. I'm sure we can like <laughs> no. recap recap every episode. We still have to do the uh, Shane and I still have to get together and do the Nihon Telnet. That's one true. About like Valis and everything. You suggested that to me, Christian, and I felt like that's something that needs to be covered. But I do not have the the knowledge, so yeah. we need to like fly Shane in. Wait, Shane is no Shane. Shane, Shane lives here again. Oh, we could have Shane on. Okay. Oh, man, this, this show's going to get really interesting. Hopefully, he'll want to come on. Yeah, no, I, I know he wants to do it. We talked about it at TGS. He still wants to do it. Awesome. I know Shane is a, just an incredible breadth of knowledge about just about everything. And, yes, uh, he does. Hooray. So, and he has the collection to back it up. Yes. Is that hard? Okay, uh, this is like Shane chat. Is it hard for him to move that thing all around the country or what? Uh, yes. Okay, I imagine. Because like, <laughs> as someone who has moved a lot recently, I've just been getting rid of everything because it's such a pain in the ass. I understand. So, yeah. So yeah, happy birthday, Retronauts. Uh, like I say this as a fan and as a host. I'm not just a fan, I'm also a client. And uh, it's been great. So let's go five more years, right guys? Five yes, more years. Who absolutely. knows, like in the future, podcasts will just come right into your living room. You want to download them. Five years, we'll have flying cars yeah. and just think, all that stuff. And Retronauts will still exist. Yeah. This week, Rage is coming out in Dark Souls. Like in five years, those could be retro games. That's true. Oh, pretty. I mean, we've hit the ten minute mark or the ten year mark, so now we can start calling the PS2 and Xbox and GameCube retro. Yeah. So if you're listening to this five years later, and you're like, "Wow, they really made it." Uh, it must be really weird for you. And I wonder <laughs> if I'm still alive. If I died somehow, that'd be kind of creepy, especially if I was talking about it like this. Okay, let's move on. Indeed. There is some retro news to talk about. Uh, just recently broke the other day. Sony is launching a new initiative called Only on PlayStation Network. And uh, what's interesting for us is part of this initiative includes the re- the release of uh, PS2 games on PSN, which, like I said, about damn time. But it's, Bob, it's been a long are time these coming. Games retro? Yes, I'm sick of people saying that. Were you saying that facetiously, Kat? It sounds like you yes. were. Yes. Okay, thank you. 
Um, we'll talk more about that later, but I can I can at least list the, the, the games that are coming out. We can talk about them a bit. We have uh, God Hand, mm-hmm. Odin Sphere, Ring of Red, uh, Grim Grimoire, and Maximo Ghost to Glory. It's uh, kind of an odd assortment. There's no real theme. Um, uh, maybe maybe a few of those would be considered classics. And Underappreciated. Like some, yeah, I guess Two so. Two Vanillaware games. That's Yeah, yeah. That, I just noticed from that. From different publishers, too, which is another, you know, like, that's kind of strangely odd. Yeah, um... I mean, I'm happy because, like, with the they stripped out the PS2 backwards compatibility, and I guess maybe uh, my conspiracy theory, my inner conspiracy theorist, thinks that okay, maybe that's because they want to resell these games, repackage them, as we've been seeing a lot lately. No, like, I think they stripped it out to save money manufacturing the over incredibly overpriced PlayStation Three. Well, that part's true too, but I mean, <laughs> I like the crazy theories better. But. I'm sure they did surveys, realized that emulation was not that important to the man on the street. Damn you, man on the street. <laughs> The question I have is: Is there been any any sort of details about you know since presumably these are, these games are going to work on all PlayStation Three units? I mean, thus they're running under some sort of new form of emulation. Has there been any discussion of, of that? Uh, that's a good question because I wrote down on my notes like, wait a minute, PS Two games can't run on all PS Threes. Like, how are they being run? You know, even if they're downloaded, that I have no idea. In fact, I couldn't even find prices for these things. I'm guessing. I think they're nine ninety nine. Okay. I think I read that today. Okay, thank you. Because oh, I was nine ninety nine for Odin Sphere, pretty damn good. That price. is awesome. I was hoping they would not be twenty because I had a feeling like they're going to be twenty and yeah. that would be way too much. But yeah, um, that's hilarious compared to like you know six dollars for an NES game or whatever on yeah. console. I think like PSN has has been having some really good deals lately. Like I, I got into the Resident Evil mood, uh, just because I re-reviewed, um, no, I re-reviewed, I reviewed the remakes of uh, RE4 and Code Veronica, and just this weekend I picked up RE2 for three bucks. That's a pretty long game. I mean, for three bucks, and it's like, uh, you know, it's not an NES game or anything like that. So, that I think was I right think they when know. we were getting into those blockbuster experiences. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the PS that must have been PlayStation Plus pricing because I think all the PS One games are six bucks, but still, oh. six bucks is not bad. No, they were having a sale because I I know I don't have PlayStation oh, Plus. So yeah, it's like a Resident Evil celebration or something. Yeah, it's like That's... the fifteenth anniversary or whatever. So it's like, hey, thanks Sony. I mean, I'm glad to see these Steam style, Steam style deals going on in like console markets yeah absolutely they need to I, I have to say i'll take a second out and say in my opinion uh sony really needs to get on the ball and sort of load up psn with games uh i don't know whether they need to work more closely with their third-party publishing partners or what but like if you look at like japanese psn it's it's completely just flooded with ps oh games yeah and, I... and not only that but in japan they've made like very very sure to have all of the high value games like, any game that costs, you know, like, in Japan, used game prices are very much based on rarity, and they're very aware of what they're worth, and, mm-hmm. and uh, they make sure, like, all the super high-value games, the games that cost anywhere between, like, 50 and $200 are on PSN for 600 yen, which is, like, you know, well, it's, like, 8 bucks right now, but, you know, yeah. the point is, you know, they, they, the people, whoever's in charge of that initiative in Japan is, like, paying way much more attention to it than in America, and I really wish they would get on the ball in America. Yeah, what I would like to see honestly, is the ability to download these PS2 games for the Vita. That would be fantastic. I um, mean, I wish... I would play God Hand on the Vita. Yeah. I would play Odin Sphere on the Vita. It would, it would be great. Yeah. It's sad that, well, I mean... I mean, the PS1 games work on uh, the PSP. Why not have the PS2 games work on the Vita? They yeah. might well. Let's, well. I mean, I probably won't find out for a while. I, I mean, this is just starting. I'm hoping that... Um, I mean... It, one thing I will say about this is that while the selections are kind of weird, yeah, they are definitely nerdy games, and like that's I a agree. good sign in my book. Yeah, they could have put out like here's Ratchet and Clank, here's Jack here's and Kill Daxter, Zone. yeah, oh yeah, that one I forgot the original about that. Kill yeah. Zone. Yeah, no, I mean like I don't know if Grim Grimoire would be my first choice, not and nothing against it or Maximo, <laughs> but I mean like 
Obviously, I mean, Ring of Red is is is, is a really odd choice, but I mean, yeah. some people, that has it, that game has its fans. It does. I never played it. I heard it was a little tedious, and uh, there were, the PS One was still pretty strong at that, that point. That was that was like near launch game for yeah. the PS Two, so it's interesting to see it get resurrected. I mean, people probably a lot of people listening probably don't even know about it. It was a strategy, a like uh, like a. I can't remember the exact scenario. It was, I think it was one of those games that's sort of based on like fake countries that are similar to real countries. So it was kind of like Valkyria Profile? More, Valkyria Profile. I want to play this game. <laughs> I don't think you do. Wait, wait. Okay, I won't make any... I mean, I didn't play the game, but I heard things about it. But go ahead, Christian. Sorry. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a Konami game. Um, it has real-time... I, I didn't really play it that much. I watched Che Chow like, over his shoulder playing it a lot, though. He was super mm. into it. If anyone remembers Che. This is a retro podcast, after all. Uh, <laughs> retro employees. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that was when we worked together at Gamers.com, a retro company that no longer exists. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it, 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 uh, it was around PlayStation 2 launch really early. It, uh, and it wasn't really like, I mean, it wasn't much like Valkyria Chronicles because it didn't have that anime storytelling flavor. It's very right. much more like, here are a bunch of tanks shooting at each other. Sweet. Um, but it's got, I don't know. Yeah, Kat, you might want to check it out if you haven't all before. Right. It's 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 definitely a. Uh, I mean, I remember people thinking it was quite interesting at the time and had like a dedicated fan base, and I'd be actually really happy to hear from someone if they still think it, it holds up. Can I make a really bad joke? Uh, yes, because I can I can always cut it. They should port it over to the Xbox 360. Oh. Get it? I get oh, it. Oh uh, dear, my gosh! I've heard that today wah, a lot already. Wah. But uh, thank so you. So let's Kat. talk about retro releases now. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, wait. Okay, we're still talking about them. Well, my bad joke. Oh, your bad joke will still exist in the podcast. All right. Yes, we're going to discredit Cat Bailey. But I think I'm going to get um, God Hand, just because I've never played it. Yeah. I heard it's amazing. It's like one of Shinji Mikami's few games he's actually directed himself. It has a very dedicated cult audience. Yeah, yeah I want to see if they're right, because I tend to like weird, uh, impenetrable games like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm really happy, because I, I skipped God Hand at the time, and I mean... Um, if you want to read a rapturous response to God Hand, check out actionbutton.net, where Tim Rogers wrote about it. Like, oh, I'm sure it's 20,000... Characters. That's his number one <laughs> greatest game More ever, like 50, right? More 50,000 words. Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably 100,000 words. Who knows? But You wrote uh, a novel about it. Uh, uh, no, and it's not just him. I've heard from a lot of people. Uh, oh, yeah, I believe it. God Hand is the way to go. And, you know, a lot of people were interested in Vanquish, you know, just because they thought it was going to kind of sort of be the inheritor to God Hand. And, mm. You know, nope. like in certain sense, in certain sense, obviously yeah. it's a different genre. But, you know, the point is it would, you know, it would be the Mikami magic again. And uh, the weird Mikami magic, that is. And, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to buy God Hand. I definitely feel like that's one of those games that I really, really regret passing up on, which is why I am completely flabbergasted that someone at Sony also, like, has that attitude toward yeah. it. And, or, or Capcom or whomever, you know, and, like... That's it's like I like I said I like and like you said it, why isn't this all Jack and Daxter like they're actually targeting you know hardcore niche gamers who are the guess what those are the ones you know those are the people who spend their money on stuff like this yeah those are the people who bought a PS3 first yeah those jerks they can play God Hand whenever they want with a disc well but yeah I hope this this starts a trend of you know PS2 games on the PSN net, uh, PS network because sounds like it I, I mean it seems like we're just getting all the rare games we didn't get for uh, the PS1 generation like Radiant Silver Gun came out on Xbox Live Arcade oh yeah like all those like uh, Moby Dicks that like I want to play that one day but it's $3,000 yeah in Radiant Japan. Silver Gun is still glorious too. yeah yeah I just got I have to download that still I have a code my my approach to PS2 is sort of like how I feel about the Game Boy library on the 3DS hmm. I own like every game boy game that i ever liked still oh, okay i've had a, had those games for like 20 years now um and the ps2 like i have a lot of ps2 games 
and I kept the ones that I really, really liked. Oh. So in general, it's like, well, I've plumbed, kind of plumbed the depths of this library. I'm sure that there are games out there that can surprise me. I haven't played Odin Sphere. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like, yeah, cool. I'm glad that people get to play these games that they missed, but I didn't miss too much. Yeah, I'd like to replace the parts of my collection I had to sell out of necessity or, you know, just moving around. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that. I missed God Hand at the time, not, you know, I was curious about it, I was interested in it, and I just didn't manage to grab it, even though, you know, like, I, I have a huge PS2 library. Hmm. You know, just, there were so many games for that system. There's a lot that, of good games on that system. Yeah. There's so many games for that system that no matter how much you were into it, I think stuff slipped through the cracks, so... It, oh, yeah, I, definitely. I, you, glad. you couldn't possibly play everything that looked interesting back then. Now games seem to be rarer, even though there's a lot of them. Mm. Yeah. They're just harder to make. All right, let's move on. There are more retro releases. Um, Huzzah. It seemed like Nintendo was not the most generous of companies until lately because, you know, you save up 10,000 special Nintendo coins. You get, like, a free handkerchief with, like, Luigi's face on it or whatever. But now they're giving away games all the time. They're giving away games to ambassadors. And their newest game they're giving away is for everyone that owns a DSi or a 3DS. You can go out and download The Legend of Zelda Four Swords Anniversary Edition as long as you log on to the Nintendo eShop before February 20th, 2012. I don't know why they put an expiration date on this. It seems kind of mean, but hey. Well, is this, there's an advance notice. Now, is this like a version of the GBA uh, pack-in from It Link is to exactly the Past? that. It is not the GB, okay. uh, sorry, GameCube version, which was much more elaborate and uh, required. And you know. better graphics. Yes. No, it's been revamped. It's my understanding it's been substantially revamped. That's right. It's. I'm sorry, it's not an identical version. I think Grezzo, that company, um, did, uh, I, guess a, I guess you would call it a remake or whatever. Grezzo? Uh, yeah, Grezzo worked on it. That's uh, Koichi Ichi's uh, Secret of Mana, Secret of Mana dudes company. Okay. And they also worked on um, Ocarina of Time remake. Okay, right, right. So I think it's in good hands. I, mm. I downloaded it, have not got a chance to play it yet, but Four Swords, I played through the GameCube version. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I played I, through the, this ver like not this version, but the GB mm -hmm. version, like back at the time, and I like I, I loved it. Okay, cool. I'm glad to hear it. it's just as good. And uh, and uh, my uh, my boyfriend downloaded this version and he uh, and he played through the whole thing like the first day with his friend and he says it's just just as fun as it was on, oh, awesome. on the Game Boy Advance so he got some secondhand knowledge anyway. if any, get, any, like, uh, if oh. he could get four people actually playing it it's a lot of fun that's it, what we did it we we're, you know it was one of those things where like when the link to the past review went up this is when I worked at GameSpy Retro Jobs Part Two <laughs> um, uh, uh, we we just someone whoever was reviewing it we just you know roped everybody in and and took you know took sat down together and made sure to play through the whole thing just to see if it affected the score materially and and i have to say it was a lot of fun and i really love that it's accessible i wish it were online i understand that why it's not it's like a tiny little free game right and i hope that you know i never got to play the gamecube one and i've really wanted to mm. you know ever since that it came out and uh i really hope that they find a way to maybe implement that next that would be amazing and i don't know it felt to me like they could always do a sequel to that gamecube one because everyone has a wii Everyone has a DS, and it seems like those, I mean, those two devices can communicate with each other, but I don't know if it would give them bad flashbacks to how everyone complained about connectivity, you know. I would rather have a true sequel for the 3DS. That'd be because nice. Because then you could just play it on your 3DS, and it would look good, too. Yeah. And I, I guess um, I don't want to flip on my Wii if I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh oh Oh, uh, yeah, come in. Send hate mail, come on. Wait a minute, you don't like the Wii? Anyways, uh, I think it's, it's a really good thing because... This is an overlooked game, or an overlooked, I guess, version of an overlooked game, and uh, now it's accessible. It's free. Everyone has a DS, right? Or a 3DS. I mean, how many of those have they sold? I don't know. One for every person in America, probably. Oh, I have five. Okay. I have at least two. Okay, so I don't you... actually have five. Okay. I have zero. All right. Well, I've purchased two. Wait, you have no DSs? 
I have no 3DSs. Oh, well, okay. well, this is also compatible with DSi. So. Oh, yeah, which I is don't awesome. have a DSi. Well, oh. okay, well, if you have a DSi... I, know what, I have a plain old DS Lite, and damn it, it served me well. Well, if you have a DS Lite, you're screwed. Oh. Or if you, if you buy an upgrade before the, what is it, the 20th of uh, February, yeah. You'll be no, good. I can't give up that GBA slot slash. I know uh, it's such a sacrifice. And the fact that it's uh, region free, completely mm. region free. Yeah, yeah. That's how I'm playing Solitaire Rubber right now. Oh, nice. Because the European one's locked out. I'm playing the European copy I bought. In, okay. And it's locked out of the uh, 3DS. DSi. Oh, and 3DS and oh yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, that's too bad. I hate I hate when they do that. I don't understand why they bothered, but yeah, N- Nintendo's definitely moving that direction. Obviously, I yeah, mean, back that direction. I should Breaks say. my heart. It seems like the people that would actually import the game are such a small, tiny fraction of your audience that you're not really losing any money. But I guess they have their reasons. All right. Uh, we also have uh, Super Mario Land 2 available in the Nintendo eShop for $3.99. The I, debut of Wario. That's right. He looks, when he was still a villain. Yes, and he looks a little more demented in this one. He's actually yes. he's pretty big. If when, yeah. when, you, when you get to him, he's like, I don't know, three times bigger than Mario. But, I mean, he is a boss in this game. So. <laughs> the final boss at that. Yeah. Have you guys played this? I love I, this game. I owned it back in the day, mm-hmm. and I did beat it. And I really enjoyed it, actually. It was yeah. kind of a... It was kind of like that midpoint between uh, regular Super Mario Brothers and the Wario Land games. Yeah, I think it's the, the same. In the way that um, it was kind of designed and set up. Yeah, it was really wacky. And it, I know it was the same team who eventually went on to make uh, Wario Land and then like the WarioWare games. I actually like Wario, the Wario Land, the original Wario Land. That one is fantastic, too. Before it became more of a puzzle game when it was still straight up platforming yeah, and yeah. you're getting the treasure. I beat that game so many times. That game still had a lot of secrets, though. Yes. It was, like, really packed with secrets and keys and hidden doors and whatnot. But, but six golden coins, like, the thing that I remember the most is that at the time, the graphics were fantastic. They were. Like, uh, for a Game Boy game, oh, my God, it looked great. It looked almost as good, in my mind, at the time, as a Super Mario World. I think that's the, what they were trying to go for. Like, mm-hmm. at least try to replicate that same style on a handheld. And, they, and they, they it's did a good also job. the last appearance of Tatanga from oh. Super <laughs> Mario Land. I don't think he'll be missed. I don't know. I, I was like, oh, I, I want to know his backstory. We need the Mario equivalent of Wikipedia where we're lear- learning the backstory of every pr- uh, antagonist. Oh, I'm sure if you go to the Mushroom Kingdom wiki, oh, God. which is extremely That's extensive, true. you'll learn where Tatanga was born, what no. kind of food he enjoys, oh, God, his no. favorite movie, Stop it. so on. Uh, Christian, do you play this game at Actually, all? Actually, I never did. Okay. I, uh, wow. I missed a lot of, like the original Game Boy, I, uh, I mean, I guess I'm sort of like, you know, I was the you know, that day equivalent of the people who, like, you know, always upgrade their consoles, like, early adopters, and I, you know, I got, I was very much more concerned. I mean, when did this come out, like, 92? I think it was, like, Christmas of 92. Yeah, by that point, I'd, I'd sort of said, nah, screw this stuff, and I was, you know, very deep into 16-bit games with their right. uh, bang graphics. So. so, the Game Boy was the only console that I had by 90, well, not 92, but by, like, 94, so mm. I was playing a lot of Game Boy games. <laughs> I was a good uh, Nintendo slave and had the the uh, triple hat trick. I had the NES, Game Boy, SNES. Because your parents were nice enough to get them for you? Yeah, I was a little spoiled. Ha! <laughs> but I got good grades, so it was all worth it. All right, then. For them, at least. So, yeah, uh, Mario Land 2 is out on the uh, Virtual Console. And on PSN, it was not a rumor. Chrono Trigger is coming out. The crappy PSX port. That's true. You don't want this. Believe me. You do not want this. Um... Buy, if you want to buy it, I say buy it on Virtual Console for 800 points, 8 Who bucks. Who did the port for these games? I'm seriously. Well, it's probably Toze. Yeah. Toze did all the... the part, oh. Apparently the problem with this, I've been told, and I can't, I th- it might have been 
it was might have been Sam or or it was either Sam or Jeremy who told me this. I cannot remember this conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, who it was in the conversation? It was you know, was that apparently they they took the Japanese version, which ran fine, and then patched it with the English script in some sort of heinously convoluted way that oh, so it great. had to load in the text off of a file off of a disc every okay. time you went in a room. So that's it slows down horrendously, and and it's a shame because it's it's Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I mean, whatever the case, it's uh, I guess okay, like horrible confession. I played through this version, having played through the cartridge version a lot. This is like, hey, I can play Chrono Trigger again. There are bonuses. I got every ending, got every bonus, but it was still not worth it. I mean, you eventually become inured to the horrible load times. Those, yeah. Like, you eventually are, are, you know, get used to that, but it's not worth it. Like I, I said, virtual console. I skipped console. it because I was bitter about uh, wasting money on the Final Fantasy Anniversary Collection. Oh. To play 5 and 6, yeah. which had the horrible load times and the awful compressed music. Yeah, 5 had a pretty bad translation, too, if I remember right. Yeah, really bad. Yeah, to the point where there's one point in the game where it tells you to go the wrong way. <laughs> That's always <laughs> nice. It's like Castlevania 2 or something. So, yeah, like I said, I would go for the virtual console version. Or, or the DS version. The DS version. I think the DS version still has the anime cutscenes in it. Am I right? I don't remember. I okay. actually didn't play it on DS, so... Hmm. Well, in any case, the, the cutscenes, if you care, they're not really that great. But if you want to watch cutscenes from 10 years ago that were in the remake, uh, just go on YouTube. No one, will, no, one will, no one will hate you. It's safe, right? I'll I still like safe. you. Okay. Cat approves. All right. Let's move on to our main discussion. So we are going to talk about some B-list RPGs. And I I said, what is off limits? I want to just say it again for the sake of our listeners, because we've either had a podcast based on these topics or we just talked about them too damn much. So we are not going to be talking about Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, Suikoden, Ease, Secret of Mana, Chrono Anything, Persona, or Lunar, or Lunar, however you say it. So... Here are the the companies that I kind of associate in my mind with these these B RPGs mm-hmm. that were still really good in their own way, but like maybe didn't get the attention of something like Final Fantasy. So Game Arts is one yeah. because they did the uh, uh, so they did Lunar. Yeah, but and, they did about Grandia apparently. And they did Grandia. Yeah. And then of course uh, uh, Trias. Yes. And uh, working designs simply because back in the day they brought a lot of these crazy RPGs that we would never have heard of, like uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth over to America. That's right. That was the last Sega Saturn game. And Pop Mail. Very old when it came out. Yeah, I think in 98 or something came out for the Saturn. Yeah, it was was literally the last Saturn game to come out in America. And part of the reason is that they... actually know this for a fact they uh postponed well okay they had problems with sega um they licensed it for, it was published by sega in japan and sega did not give them the source code for it oh. so they'd hack it to localize it like, i've heard that wasn't that wasn't too uncommon uh i just heard an interview with some guy who used to work at squaresoft i swear to god i think it was on 8.4 play one of our podcasts but that was not uncommon like hacking the source code to do the translation they no. didn't they didn't like pull the text out or anything yeah i mean okay so i mean that's a broader issue yeah so i'll finish the working designs and i'll tell you this so, so go yeah, for it christian so yeah basically what happened is they, they uh they had to hack it and they couldn't uh i mean working designs did a crazy hack work they hacked they had actually they um 
for Albert Odyssey, which is another Saturn game of of uh, of, of obscurity, they uh, they actually had to buy the like this Japanese. I think it was a I can't remember what computer it was. A Japanese only computer system, I believe, to uh, to, to to like hack the, to to translate that game. I don't know if they had to hack it or not, but they, you know, they couldn't do it on like a Windows or PC or whatever at the time. They had to buy like whatever it was developed on in Japan. Right. Um, with Rare Earth, they couldn't get the source code off of Sega, um, and then so. You know, they got higher priorities like translating Lunar for PlayStation 1. So, basically, the game came out in 1990... It might have been the 95 in, in Japan, That I sounds believe. right, yeah. Yeah, 95. So it was basically a launch title. Yeah, I mean, it was... Well, Japan... Saturn launched in 94, so it was about a year after launch. Uh, about, yeah. So, they... Uh, they... They, uh, they, they, they didn't get the source code, and they just deprioritized it. You know, while they were working on other stuff that was, you know, more relevant or, you know, crucial. Hmm. And then finally, at the very end of the Saturn, I mean, like, it was the last domestic Saturn release. Right. They put it out. And um, actually, that was the localization debut of John Riccardi of 8.4. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, this is pre. This is pre when he started doing oh, like, yeah, God, game this writing. Is, this is this is when he actually still worked in magazines. I don't know if he like. I don't want to say he worked on magazines and this game. Like it might have been between gigs or before okay, even. But yeah. the point is, he uh, he edited the script for uh, for this little known fact. I don't even know if it's a secret or if it's publicly available. Well, I think it everyone won't knows him. it now. For the sake of our listeners, uh, who is John Riccardi? Well, he's you know he's he was a long time Ziff Davis. That would be pre you know pre pre one up company. Uh, and uh, he runs, you know, if, I'm sure a lot of our listeners listen to 84 Play and, and yeah. play a lot of the games 84 has localized, you know, some of the Tales games, uh, the PS2 Xenosaga games and stuff like that. So. He's, he's part of the extended one-up universe. Yeah, absolutely. He's a part of the gaming history now. Exactly. Well, he's, he's still alive. <laughs> but yeah. He's part of ongoing gaming Part of history. a gaming history. Yes. But no, I mean, I mean, we're talking about retro RPGs and the things that companies had to do to localize them. Yeah, I mean, so back in the day, and I mean, this continued really, I mean, to an extent, it continues to the present. Like, a lot of times, Japanese developers are really unconcerned with whether or not a game can be localized in English. And Japanese is a, doesn't, you know, take a genius to notice that it's a very different language from mm-hmm. English in terms of print. And there's certain things about it that you might not leap to mind, as in, you know, if you're not thinking about these issues. And uh, very often, the, the games are incredibly uh, unfriendly to either... I mean, there's a lot of things could happen. Like, I can think of an example of a game that I probably shouldn't name... That wasn't translated because the Japanese publishers, uh, developers had moved on to, an, to the next project and they were unwilling to, uh, like, let anyone take the time out to localize it. Oh, yeah, that's not that's not uncommon. I've heard that, that story plenty of times. Either that or, like, oh, we don't know where the source code is, so yeah, uh, tough source, luck. <laughs> Japanese developers had very, very, very bad source control. Um, so they, they didn't have, you know, the source code would, would disappear even by the time the project shipped. Um, so that hampered localization. Uh, like I remember, you know, Dragon Quest V. Not that we're talking about Dragon Quest, but for oh, the it's safe. Go ahead. For the Super Nintendo, uh, like they they Enix America at the time looked into localizing it, but there was something about the text that yeah. that just wasn't. They weren't able to implement English in and it. And if or, you follow the um, the ROM hacking scene, you'll hear like the travails of hackers that had to figure out how the text display worked and hack it a certain way in order to fit characters in, and just it's some you know insane nonsense that. You know, it was clear that each developer was coming up with their own way to display text and to compress text in oh, their yeah, games. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then there's a, another example is, um, 
Actually, I cannot remember. I had one on the tip of my tongue. But oh, yeah, no, Chrono Cross. I know, again, the series we're not going to talk about. But, you know. Oh, no, you go for it. I they, know this is a good story, too. Th- this is a, this is, comes from uh, Richard Honeywood, who used to be. Uh, he fa- basically founded Square, Japan's localization studio. Then right. He worked at Blizzard, and now uh, I think he's doing his own thing now. But um, he. Uh, Basically, what happened, and he could program, and so he went. He went to localize Chrono Cross. Who wouldn't? It's a very good game. He went to the Japanese dev team, and he's like, "Hey, I would like you to implement an English font." And they said, "Tough." <laughs> and he's like, "But it's Chrono Cross." So he's like, he himself uh, programmed the like. He went and took the. He extracted the English font from Xeno Gears, and programmed it into Chrono Cross himself. Oh wow! Wow. Okay, man. Thank you. Thank Dedication. you, Richard. Dedication. <laughs> so. Uh, and, you know, it is one of the best PS1 games, so it's, like, kind of pathetic if it hadn't come out, you know. And he did a pretty ingenious thing with the, uh, I mean... With the in, dialogue. Yeah, yeah, like how each character spoke with a different um, sort of accent. In retrospect, I guess it kind of limited the personalities these characters had, you know, just because you're just tacking on a certain, like, um, dialect well, or accent to That's how it was them. done in Japanese, yeah. too, so you can't really, you know... But, it was They had, what, was it like, 40 characters, so yeah. they had to do something. They, I, the, the lines had to be interchangeable. And I'm sure, like, it, it was probably he, uh, Richard that he's the one who re-engineered that system to, you know, throw in, like, okay, when this word pops up, it's spelled this way. When these consonants absolutely. are paired together, they're, they're displayed this way instead of this way. Yeah, absolutely. That was all so, him. So, man, I wonder if localization has gotten easier. I can say... From my brief experience with it, it I don't think it has. <laughs> um, yeah, didn't you briefly work at Atlas? I did. I worked on the online side for games that nobody knows about. But um, yeah, I just like you said, Black it projects. seems. What's that? Black projects. They're they're uh, they're not to be discussed publicly. Although I don't know, I probably could. But anyways, uh, yeah, I just noticed like I guess Japanese developers aren't the most helpful of people. Uh, well, they, they just, but well, I don't know if they have a reason to be concerned about what some you know people are doing halfway across the planet. I mean, well, if you think about it, a game being made in America, I mean, how much do the developers think about it getting localized in Brazil? Yeah, exactly. Actually, a like, lot. Oh, to, to oh, jeez. So, well, okay. Well, he uh, told prove us wrong, me. Christian, prove us wrong. Uh, well, okay. I mean, here's the thing. Like a lot of Jap- I mean, a lot of Japanese developers do not think at all about English localization or English content. They're very inward focused and partially that is because obviously some of these games don't you know move the needle partially it's because the western offices don't communicate well with the japanese offices and i'm not going to say whose fault that is it's Mm -hmm. obviously you know can vary um i mean i know that you know common practices of of you know i'm not saying it was always been like this but common practices of contemporary developers particularly of big games in the west are very much localization focused because at the very least most games uh come out in e-figs which is you know english french italian german spanish so and if you think about, you know, just the difference between German and Spanish and Italian and French and English, those right. are like all these languages have very different requirements. German, you have to like, you know, accommodate like 30 letter words or whatever without yeah. breaking the text box. And, you know, with the other languages, you have to accommodate a lot of uh, you have to genders. Uh, also, German has genders, but genders, you know, English does not have genders and, uh, and accents. Again, English does really rarely, rarely has accents. So. Right. I mean, at this point, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, don't get me wrong, localization is, uh, is, uh, is, you know, if you go to, like, the localization summit at GDC, the localizers definitely, definitely think that it's way underloved, and oh. it doesn't get the attention it deserves. I agree, and it seems that very rarely localizations are called out. I mean, I can think of a lot of non-RPGs that have really good localizations, like, I just played a Ghost Trick, and um, I, the guy who localized it is not, like, a name in localization, but it was just fantastic, just he did a fantastic job of, you know, putting it together. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 an art, and it's 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 you know just like everything else in games, like there's an art to it, and there's also a technical side to mm-hmm. it that is, like one of the big problems with Japanese localization, 
and I'll, I guess we could let it lie after this because we're kind of going on about it. But yeah, uh, it's Japanese, an interesting topic though. Japanese has two features that make it really hard to translate. Uh, you know, with you know the way games are programmed, which is a Japanese games don't have to word wrap, which means that you know like. You know, like when you're typing into any text box on the internet and, like, you know, you finish, a word goes over the edge of the of the right-hand box, it flips down to the next line. Like, right. Japanese doesn't have to do that. Japanese just keeps going and wraps, like, wherever it wraps, and it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, speaking as uh, someone who worked in development, that is something you had to ask the Japanese development side for. Like, we need word wrap. Like, this is how English works. It doesn't work like it does, you know, for you guys. And the other big problem is proportional fonts, which, again, you know, if you think about, like, lowercase i versus, like, a capital B, like, those those letters are, like, very different widths. Uh, Japanese, all the characters are exactly the same width uh, because that's how the, it's programmed for readability of kanji and uh, and then ka- and kana. So you can fit a lot more Japanese language into a small space right. than you can in English. So things like expanding the size of text boxes uh, is, is always a big problem. So yeah, there's, there's tons and tons of, of, of real problems. That, and this is why a lot of games you know, didn't get localized or got localized extremely awkwardly. That's true. And in fact, a lot of my favorite games have really bad translations. But let's start the discussion. I don't know where you guys want to start because um, there's quite a few series we could talk about. Is there like a launching point you guys want to yeah, start with? I mean, the game. That, it seems like a lot of the games on this particular list that I'm looking at are for the PlayStation 1. And I might be biased. I'm sorry. Those PS1 the- slash that. Well, I think, well, that's kind of like where my experience starts as well. But it, it, it seems like it was on the PS1 where a lot of these uh, B-tier uh, RPGs really got a chance to shine. Because well, yeah. Yeah. they kind of came in on the coattails of Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, And my theory is, like, the assets were not too expensive to whip up. So they could make these really, really ambitious games that maybe they only dreamed of making back on the 16-bit consoles. The CD gave them that power. Oh yeah, you could definitely see that. That if you look at you know random examples like you know I mean talk about Xenogears like you know outstrip the ambition outstripping the uh, the actual game. You know what I mean? Like, oh definitely, the, yeah. Yeah, I mean you look at the PS1 and you see a lot of people doing like a lot of different stuff. I can list off a, a ton of random ass games uh, that like here's one Thousand Arms. Anybody remember Thousand Arms? I do. Yeah. I pre-ordered that game. Yeah. And I, uh, I enjoyed it for the time, but I, I would think... just hang out in GameStop and look at it and be like, Ark the Lad. Uh, I don't like lads. <laughs> that's Arc a clunky Lad, title. Yeah, that's actually Ark the Lad would be a good series. There's so much stuff we could discuss. I mean, Thousand Arms probably doesn't deserve more than a it was charming and okay sort of footnote. But yeah, uh, also like probably one of the first uh, dating sim type experiences Americans might have had. Yeah, I mean it was very. I mean it was very much more a, 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 a traditional JRPG with very very light dating mechanics, but it definitely had them. It was based on or forging. They, they were like your you had to pick the girl who was going to help you uh, forge your weapons. I, that's I right. Yeah. But uh, and one of them was disturbingly young, which is when I fir- first started noticing that in a lot of Japanese uh, mm. content. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Well, what that is was, this? Well, that, the the story, the scenario in that game was planned by Red Entertainment, which is the same people who did the Sakura Tyson mm. series. Uh, oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. So that explains Another, that. What does Sakura Tyson count as B RPG? Because it was gigantic in Japan for its time. I think for uh, we Americans, it's B because didn't only one of those games come out yeah, here? The Wii one. Yeah. And, it's so uh, funny. The years Wii, after the fact. Yeah. yeah. It's hilarious. Like, you know, like the heyday of Sakura Tyson was the Saturn in Japan. Like, the first game came out for the Saturn, I believe, in 1996. And it was, like, like a big deal. It was huge. And, yeah. the game, and the series went up through the Dreamcast, and then when Sega went third party, it moved over to the PS2. And that was kind of, I mean, I, I think it's pretty much... I don't know if dead extended hiatus. You know, it's kind of not being capitalized on right now. Yeah. But like then, then NIS America comes in at the 11th hour and grabs the fifth game in the series... 
uh, and puts it out and because... has it ported to the Wii, which it wasn't in Japan, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was... I feel like Sakura Tyson was one of those games where it kind of capitalized on where things were going on back in the mid '90s because it's, it's very the 90s much thing ever. one of those <laughs> multimedia. It, it's one of those basically multimedia games where you're watching a story where people are talking and you're like, "Oh wow, this is really cool! I can hear their voices." It's not quite that. I, I think I think you're overstating things a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. like I played the Saturn game at the time. Like, I was like really excited because I was big into anime nerd. I was big into RPG. It's actually really a strategy game, not an RPG. Yeah. Strategy nerd, you know. And it's uh, the first game. I mean, I can't speak to so much to later games in the series, or even I never even played the one that came out from from NIS, but. Because the, the, like that ship had sailed. Let's yeah, and I hear that you didn't miss much. But uh, I actually I played it and I actually enjoyed the first couple chapters. Oh. Just uh, I just had a good time. Okay, not enough to go back. To not it. enough to go back, but uh, mm. it's no hyperdimension Neptunia. <laughs> <laughs> but what is? It, it was fun. I, I I found the 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 way that it was presented as kind of a an ongoing anime series yeah. with like teaser trailers and everything to be uh, really oh, cute. Oh, okay. Yeah, I that's that's, presented like that. that's what was so cool about the first game. I mean, at the time, I mean, I didn't really speak almost any Japanese and I, you know, and I was just just struggling my way through it, but uh yeah, I mean, the presentation was cutting edge uh in the Saturn era. And yeah, it was a 2D game, but so were very many games and right. and, and it uh like, you know, I, I mean, of course, again, you had a lot of choices to make in the story, and again, I couldn't really read them, um, but, you know, <laughs> like, it, it was it was a really interesting blend of, like, of really uh, well-crafted anime drama, uh, cutscenes, uh, I don't know, there was something, it just had that certain something, you know what I mean? Like, it was really a cool, really, really, the first game was really attractive for the, you know, for the system it was on, and, mm-hmm. and it just... I don't know, it really grabbed me. And then I kind of always felt like I liked the series, and I bought one of the Dreamcast ones, and I didn't end up playing it. And, and yeah. They made it, like, a hundred times on, like, each console. I'm really, yeah, I'm sure. I think they, they even made something for, like, Game Boy Color or something. Like <laughs> you know, like, they, they went overboard with it, because, of, like, anything else, once it gets a little faint hint of popularity, it gets... That's what they, they, they tried to, to do with Valkyria Chronicles, where they turned it into, like, an anime series and its own cafe in Ikebukuro. Wait, and... uh, they made a real uh, anime... Yeah, yeah. Is it, is an it any good? Uh, oh, wait, does it center around the pop star girl? Please tell me it doesn't. I have no idea. Okay, I don't I, watch anime I think it's just anymore. a retelling of the original game. But All right, that's, that's inoffensive. Yeah, there were a lot of, there were several Sakurai Tyson anime series as mm. well. I know a lot of them came here. Man, this is suddenly turning into anime chat. Uh, but, uh, you know, they came out without any context. Like, what is Soccer Wars? But, I mean, that's, that's back when they were licensing everything, which yeah. is why there's no more anime for us Americans anymore. Yeah. Because they bought Soccer Wars. So I think we should maybe start with okay. Here's what I want to start with. Can we please start talking about Zeno whatever? Yeah, Zeno, Zeno gears, Zeno saga. Just get on the line. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, Zeno, Zeno gears. Uh, Christian, you look like you're ready to jump into this. Uh, well, the funny thing is, I was not a big fan of Zeno gears. Like I was really like, I can't. 
I was incredibly overhyped for it. Like, I thought it was going to be the, the, the second coming. I was a big Evangelion fan, and it had that, 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 that tinge of, of yeah, evangelion Yeah, definitely about it. Uh, inspired. A I lot guess. of games uh, that came out post-1996 were also kind of writing oh, yeah. on that, Evangelion's coattails. Evangelion was, like, defining cultural moment in Japan for the 90s. So, I mean, yeah. Final Fantasy VII came out right then, yeah. and yeah. no surprise, it was a big mind screw. Yeah, so, yeah, so, uh, anyway, I think it's a quite a tedious game, actually. Um, part of that is due to the fact that the tech speed oh, yeah. is very slow. Part mm. of that is due to the load times are frequent and, and reasonably long, but I just, I don't know, like, that game... That game had such good music. Oh, yeah, it my did. God. Uh, that was not uh, Mitsuda's Swan Song. I think that was Chrono Cross, but it was still just fantastic. Especially the boss music. Yeah. Wow, so catchy. No, I don't think that's Mitsuda's Swan See, Song. No, no, I didn't think. No, I Chron- thought of... I mean, Chrono Cross. You don't think it. Chrono Cross is? No, Xenosaga 1. We're going to continue oh, on the Xenosaga. Oh, yeah, okay, please. I, I, I welcome disagreements it's because I like Mitsuda. It's funny because I'm generally identified as a Mecha fan, but I wasn't a Mecha fan back then. Mm. And I found the giant robot fighting really tedious oh. until you get the Omni Gears okay. on the second disc. Once you get those, those are like a lot faster moving, a lot more interesting. But I felt like the gear, the, the, the mechanics for the original gears were kind of poorly defined, like on how to like build up, God, this is a long time ago, but building yeah. up your fuel or whatever so that you could do certain attacks. Energy, um, I think. Ian. Yeah. Uh, and I honestly really enjoyed the ground combat where hmm. you were just on, on foot. Oh, so. no, I did too. I like the combos. I mean, I'm sure if I went back, I'd be like, yeah. this is kind of broken, but. Well, broken I and it. maybe a little shallow, but. Yeah. It but was it, fun to watch. It was fun to watch, and it was a lot of fun to fight bosses on foot. Mm. And so I always look forward to it. Oh, yeah, because they were much bigger than you. Yes. And In certain re- characters were really broken, like Saiten yeah. was very broken. Um, and it was way too long. And then, obviously, the second disc. The second disc. Speaking of Ava, it was like the last two episodes of Ava, right? They even really stole was. the device of the guy sitting in the chair. It was and just like Saiten talking. Yeah. Yep. Christian, you had something. I, I'm I was sorry. just gonna say, I just, I, I don't really like it. And actually, I mean, I could be pretty harsh about how, if I were gonna be honest about how I felt about the time. I remember I was playing it for like, I got to like about 32 hours, and I was in some dungeon where like I was, it was Faye and and uh, and uh, and uh, Faye and what was the chick? Oh boy, oh. Ellie, Ellie, right? Ellie, Ellie yeah. 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 And I was, uh, you know, exploring this dungeon and it had like, you know, alert bots or whatever. And if they caught you, they'd send you back to the beginning. And I just spent yeah. 32 hours and I said... Was it the Tower of Babel? I can't. I, this was 1998. So <laughs> that I was, was like, a different annoying dungeon, but I think this is like... Uh, and I was yeah. like, no, no, that was the one where, where you're jumping in midair and you could get touched. And Tower of Babel. And, fall, and then fall. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get my get platforming out of my RPGs. And, uh, and, and uh, I don't know. I just, I just, I just turned it off. I'm just like... I, I, why am I playing this? But that said, I, I, I've come around to really respecting the, probably because of Zeno Saga. I've really come around to respecting uh, Tetsuya Takahashi's vision. Hmm. You know his his ambition. What, mm-hmm. One thing I like, I don't know, it could be nostalgia talking, but I mentioned this um, when we were talking about Solata Robo on Cat's podcast that I love the the artful mix of two D and three D elements in that game. I mean. I guess in some cases it could look hideous, but I just I, I just like that aesthetic for some reason. I don't know what it is about mm. it. it just... Well, back in the PS1 days, it looked really uh, high tech. Yeah, it did. Cutting edge. I guess I guess like uh, I don't I, I could like be putting my foot in my mouth here, but I think those those two elements are really integrated well with each other. Uh, mm. At least with the way they were presented to me back then. I like how they pres- you know really. I will say even at the time, I really liked how they uh, pursued their own style. You know, like you know, it was the first big square RPG after Final Fantasy VII. It was, you know, it was 
teased in Final Fantasy VII, though it was improperly localized. Mm-hmm. In the you know when clouds like catatonic. He oh like yeah, says, he says like uh, go ahead. Sorry. Something I can't remember what exactly. I think says. it's Xenogias. Yeah, it's like Xenogias, like Z E N O G I A S. Oh yeah, with a Z. That's right. And yeah. uh, the big news at the time, I remember reading like RP Gamer or whatever. It's like there's too many religious references. This game will never come out here because they make fun of Christianity. Not make, make fun, fun of, of the Catholic Church. Yeah, but that's like that's turned into the villain in every JRPG. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's true. I remember, actually. The things that, like, seemed controversial in 1998 that just, you know, are not now. Yeah. Now they're just kind of silly, like, the characters getting crucified, the robots getting crucified, whatever, you know. It's just, like, maybe that was shocking back then. The bear. Yeah, uh, Choo Choo getting crucified. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's, but... uh, It was a hard story to follow, too. It was. And that could have been the localization. you couldn't, like... And then you find out that, like multiple personalities and yeah then a guy's turning into an angel and you're like who's the real villain and i'm like i don't know what's going on yeah i i set out to but, play it again while taking notes and that didn't last very long but i really enjoyed it back in the day yeah i have fond memories of it i know if jeremy was in here he there would be fire shooting out of his ears and, but he's not. and nose so <laughs> we, we can praise xenogears no, so, I, don't, I don't really like it. I think he's oh. come around to it a little bit, but I could be no, wrong. No, he hasn't. He t- last time I heard him talk about it, he said something mean. I think he hates it even well, like as the years go by, he hates it more. Oh, okay, it hurt then. him. It hurt him deeply. Let's talk about Xenosaga. What a weird game. I played through all of Xenosaga. It was one of those really, Just really... Just the first one? You've been talking about uh, here now? I played all of them, but I only finished the first one. But okay. Xenosaga seemed to come in from an era where there were these very ambitious Japanese projects. Like, we're going to have 10 episodes, and they're each going to be going 30 hours. Going to the next generation. Yeah, well, Namco like, really, 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 really wanted their own oh, Final Fantasy. Yeah. You and, know, and they, 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 they spared no expense. I don't know if people recall. And the soundtrack is amazing, to, you know, sort of hinted at. In my opinion, it's, it's Mitsuda again. I like it. I do like it. And it was recorded by the Royal London Philharmonic Orchestra. That is big wow. bucks. Not like uh, the Prague Orchestra that does every video game soundtrack. Yeah, I mean now, right? it was ridiculous expense. I mean, I was told off the record by a certain someone who shall remain nameless what they spent. I don't remember exactly, but the point is they spent they spared no expense on this game, and and, and, it, and it was, it was you know, you can see it. I mean, it's 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 really long. Um, mm-hmm. It's got really good graphics. It's got really involved in tons of story. It does. has its own... Uh, one of the first games I remember with its own in-game sort of like lore dictionary. It's like, what, what does this mean? What does that mean? Like, who is this character? Which it needs because yeah, it's yeah. so con- convoluted. But actually, I mean, I think what really I think about when I think about Xenosaga is, is like... I mean, the first game in particular, I think the battle system was kind of a mess in the sense mm-hmm. that I wasn't ever 100% sure in all of it that I played, like, what the goal of, like... <laughs> some of the meters and stuff on the top of the screen yeah, told yeah. me and Those, stuff like that. I, I wasn't really sure either. But uh, but uh, the characters and setting, mm-hmm. like it's like sort of. I think I think that Xenosaga, the Xenosaga games are sort of bar none on the characters and setting. Yeah, if I if I can give that game any credit, and I'm not like a huge fan, but I I do like the setting because I'm really sick of medieval style RPGs. I, I rarely play any except for maybe Dark Souls, but that's more kind of like dark fantasy than like we're all from Tolkien land. Fantasy, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it everyone's... has its very its own aesthetic. It's very much not Dragon Age or whatever. Yeah, even even when I look at it, I'm not thinking, hey, it's Lord of the Rings. It it's just not seems Lord like of the Rings. very unique to what it is. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, Xenosaga like like a lot of I, I think post Final Fantasy seven it sort of opened the door for like a game, an RPG setting is whatever we want it to be, like telephones, cars, yeah. <laughs> swords, like it all come, like whatever you want, just stick it in there. Like and, some and numbers. Xenosaga was like, 
no, we we are hard sci-fi. We are like Star Trek. You know, we are. You know, this is we. And we're it was only peripherally it. connected to Xenogears. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Really peripherally. Yeah. I remember all the fans wrongly thinking like, no, they're going to complete the Xenogears, uh, you know, uh, pantheon because well, Xenogears was episode five. And well, the- some of the stuff, like some of the story <laughs> elements. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not one of those fans who can speak to it like authoritatively. And I'm yeah. sure online there's plenty of resources, but like. Like if I recall correctly, Xeno like Xeno Gears Perfect Works, which is like the holy grail of oh, like yeah. Xeno Gears fanboy material books, like does mention in its like you know gargantuan timeline stuff that ended up being in Xeno Saga. But mm-hmm. I don't think like there would have been like a point where if Xeno Saga had continued, like it would have been like a seamless transition into like Xeno Gears. Yeah, I don't think that was ever the plan. It just was kind of like wishful thinking on the fans' part. Speaking I don't blame of them. the Xeno Saga Xeno Gears connection, that. Opening cutscene in Xenogears was really, really, really good. It was and badly so dubbed. You gotta... Oh, and badly dubbed, correct. But there was some pretty bad dubbing in that There's game. Guys, well, no, the dubbing in that game was horrendous. Over, we've overrun the limit. And it it was like... the first time I noticed that the lips weren't sinking to the the text. Oh yeah, they didn't care about that at all. And there was blood everywhere. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah. it, no, it was like it was on a starship, and it had a kind of a Captain Global guy looking at the picture of his wife, and then boom, it's blowing up. And, what was and it's great? like, what is this spaceship? And now I'm on a planet. Exactly. It was great because you were Cryptic like, opening you scene. go from this future scape to like just a regular RPG town, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like, what happened? And it produces a lot Some of intrigue. Some painting. Yeah. And then like you hear Xenosaga is going to be sent in space, and I'm like, well, of course. Yeah. It makes Gotta find out how the sense. ship crashed, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, I mean, I, like, if you just think about the cast of, of Xenosaga, like, Xion is, I think, a great lead. Hmm. Very different. A smart, strong female character. And yeah, they, 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 they kind of overdid her outfit in the second game, I think, to try to, like, you know, lure people in. Yeah. That way. I think Xenosaga, too, like, very different from well, one. There's yes. The, that's, that's a topic in and of itself. We should, uh do, uh, do you guys want to move on to Xenosaga, too? We still like, want to well, praise, praise I, I one. Praise the Xenosaga's <laughs> main contribution to rpg history is that namco bandai drops cosmos into like anything that they can oh, find yeah. well i mean it's a robot wearing lingerie so yeah, yeah pretty much it's an awesome like cosmos is like i think she's like the lady gaga of rpg characters <laughs> she's like the super awesome super stylish like badass like art like i don't know i love I, I have a cosmos on my desk i love cosmos and then yeah. there, like there's a lot of other characters like um like junior like Oh right, yeah. yeah, like Albedo, Rubedo, Negredo, that whole thing, Guinan, uh, same thing. And then um, there's uh, Ziggy and Chaos, just like lots of cool characters. Oh yeah, and like they're all floating up in front of cool memories stuff. now. Yeah. You know, like super. I don't know. It's like so. It's. It, I mean, you know, the word epic has like been so worn out, but it actually did feel like it. And yeah, I mean, going to that game knowing that they had planned out so many games in advance, you know, before having to scrap their plans and just boil it down to three RPGs. Yeah, with yeah, very very restricted resources. Was, and Two and a half. Years. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> three was not good. Uh, well, let's uh, talk about two. Let's, move let's on to talk two. about two. I <laughs> want to say my contribution to this discussion is I tried to play two. The battle system was uh, I like what they tried to do, but it was overly complicated because you had to you had to put in uh, each enemy had a certain like combo you had to do to knock them out before you could actually really hurt them. And sometimes those are really extremely difficult to do in the heat of battle. Like you had to do like high low high low high 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 low, and then they'd fall over. But you had to organize those within three fighting party members to do those combos before you could knock them out. I'm sorry, like it's been five years since I played it. I might not be describing this correctly, but it was very very complicated. So that's that all I have to contribute. Just, I mean. From my understanding, the situation is that game was pretty hastily conceived in the wake of the success of Xeno, you know, Xeno Saga One. Mm. Um, and wait, it, uh, it in the wake of the success, or yeah. okay, uh, it was successful in Japan. 
No. Oh. No. Well, Over I, I'm here. probably spilling beans. I shouldn't spill. Let's just, just. I mean, sales numbers are not are not bean spillage, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, I know more about this than I'm supposed to know. Okay, I'm sorry, Christian. That's all right. I'm the one who brought it up. Uh, yeah. Let's just say that they didn't have. Uh, they did, they weren't able to put. I don't think if you. It's just obvious. I don't have to tell you. I mean. Like, they go from having, like, separate skill trees for all the characters in the first game to having the same skill tree for every character in the second That's game. That's right. And, like, there are no shops, I think. There's, you... like, you. so, it's. Just, I mean, anyone who played, I don't know how far you played, but, like, like the Sakura Mizrahi plot point, you, like, go through the entire Sakura Mizrahi, like, like dungeon, mm-hmm. and then the next dungeon is the entire Sakura Mizrahi dungeon again. Oh yeah! Uh, <laughs> like literally, the next dungeon is like the same dungeon you just did. Like yeah. like, and it's really long, so you just do the same dungeon. It's like it's really like I I don't think you need to be like a know the secrets to know that this game clearly like suffered. And 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 also, I mean, like the character design changes, like they were super like they tried to super westernize them. Yeah, I mean, before they looked like they sort of looked like um, marionettes, like Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds or whatever, because they they had the anime heads, but still had kind of realistic proportions. But I, I never liked the the I guess improved uh, designs. They just mm. were kind of off putting. Yeah, they were. They, they tried. I mean, they, they they clearly added stuff. Like you remember, like does anyone remember Momo like driving a car in a car chase with like oh you no know, with like you know being it's like it's just it, there's a lot of silly stuff in the game they clearly did to try to like you know yeah hastily throw together a, a game. And try to, you know, obviously, because the first game, if everyone remembers, was the greatest hit for the PS2. It like sold oh, yeah, really right. well I in America. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they were definitely, they got this, the sense, hey, people in America like Xenosaga, so let's go with this. So One thing I remember is, uh, I'm going to, okay, this might sound misleading, really bad music, but really good music. Because they split up the music between the movie scenes and the in-game play. Yeah. The in-game play was uh, Shinji Hosei, I think his name is. He did a lot of music for shooters um, at oh, yeah, the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hosoi, sorry. And uh, it's just really bad. It it's, just doesn't fit. No, uh, but Yuji Kajura. Yuki, Yuki Kajura. Yuki Kajura. Oh, my Kajura, God. Yeah. That's where I first discovered her. And the music for that game is fantastic. And I think she did all the music for three. And I think she was very, very overlooked. Like, she reminds me of, like, Goshina. And that they are doing this, like, really um, bold, like... Just like it, the music blows you away, to use a you know cliche catchphrase, it's just amazing, really emotional, really stirring, and I'm gonna put a lot of it in this episode. Yeah, she um. Wait, y- how do you say her name? Yuki. Yuki Kajiura. Yuki Kajiura. Okay, got it. She uh she did a lot of music for anime, and not I don't know if that was her first game, but you know she was much more better known as an anime. Yeah, and I think she still does. Did she do like uh, dot hack stuff? She and, did uh, the dot hack TV show. Yeah. She did um she if I recall correctly she d- she definitely did noir um which was another. St- Anime that was really popular at the time by the same studio that did Dot Hacks anime. Uh, she did. Um, hey, I remember Noir. <laughs> she did. I mean, she did a, a lot of anime around that time, especially back when that was like that was when the anime scene was really like bursting yeah, wide open. Yeah. So like when they got her for like the super super nerd anime types like me is who I was at the time. Uh, it was like amazing. Like I was really disappointed that they weren't using Mitsuda again cuz I like I said I really love the soundtrack for the first game but Kajiro is great and yeah. yeah and I I think the the themes the musical themes are stronger than what Mitsuda Mitsuda was doing. Maybe he wasn't as inspired with this project. I know you like the the music from uh, Xenosaga episode 1 I do too but I don't know I think Kajiro made I I guess she made more of her role than than mm. uh, Mitsuda did. Her music to me is much more memorable than what Mitsuda did with uh, Xenosaga Episode 1. Well, the thing with the, with the first game is that they tried to use the music more like a film and less like a... Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Less like... Because there's like, you know, in, in the first game, which, I mean, this is totally common these days, especially with Western-developed games, but, you know, at the time it was weird. Like, a lot of Xenosaga 1, you're like walking around and there's no music, and, and it comes in at, like, climactic moments. So right. it was sort of more of a... I mean, 
to an extent, it's more like a film score, whereas, you know, and, and I think, I don't know if it's a good thing, because like, like you said, the Hosoe stuff is not very good at all, but like, having Kajiyara just do the cutscenes, like, made sort of, I don't know, like, they were really bold. Yeah, I mean, I just like I said, I'm repeating myself, but her music is just so stirring and moving, and I think she needs more work. I don't know what she's been doing lately, but she's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, are we on episode three yet, Kat? I have absolutely nothing to say okay. about Xenosaga. Well, I can say As that... As you can tell, because I'm not saying anything about <laughs> we, it. We will make episode three ch- uh, chatter quick, because probably some of our audience doesn't know anything about Xenosaga. <laughs> we'll educate them. Uh, I know they remade Xenosaga 1 and 2 for the DS. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was weird. I, did that come out here? Well, I remember... The, it did not come out here. Okay, I didn't it think so. It was 2D. It was a pack of 1 and 2. I've never played it. What a weird it. idea. I, my... <laughs> well, you know, porting stuff to the DS. I mean, they did it with Final Fantasy 3. Why it's, not? It's, it was less of a port, though, because, I mean, it's like, let's remake this game with, like, little... And mash yeah, them all junior together. Junior-sized assets and, like, yeah, exactly. Well, I remember, it was really hilarious, because I remember at the time they announced, like, right around the same time Namco announced Xenosaga for DS and Katamari for PSP, and I'm like, you got it backwards, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Like, like Although I would not want to see a Katamari for the DS. That seemed like... You could might... use it with a stylus. Yeah, it would have been That's true. Really That's what, that would have been good, like, rolling with a stylus. Okay, I so, can see that now. Yeah, so I was like... Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, I've never seen it. I, 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 I didn't see any reason to, to buy it and try to struggle through it in Japanese just because it's, you know, it's a weird version. Yeah. But maybe someday if I find it for super cheap. But uh, I'm sure you can. And uh, Xenosaga 3, I, I don't have much to say about it, so we can move on, but... I'll just quickly say, I guess, that the one thing... I think that was the game where they finally streamlined production and sort of got, like... They, 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 they de-toned out, like, they, or detoned up or whatever. They, they took the character designs back down to, like, a reasonable place, I think. Right, yeah. They look good, they look solid, they look, you know... They're not too anime, they're not too, like, overdone, like the second one. Uh, the one thing that's great is the game has, you know, it's a solid, if not particularly interesting battle system, but it, like, lacks flaws, you know what I mean? It's just, right. like, it works, and it has, like, zero load times, which is pretty rare on yeah. PS2. It's long. The only thing I have to say about it that's really disappointing is that the game was very bloody in the Japanese release, and to get a T-rating Namco oh. Bondi, they uh, censored the fuck out of it. I and, did read about that back in the day. Yeah, and I, t- I, gave it, I gave it a point off for uh, for that when I was still reviewing games. That's fair. And, I mean, uh, yeah, well, the Namco Bondi PR at the time, who no one who's, who works there now, but <laughs> they, did not, they did not think it was fair. Hmm. Well, I, I think, would you agree with me that that's the best, uh, at least game-wise, you know, Xenosaga to play? It, it's the most seamless, like, put-together, like, no muss, no fuss. Like, we finally got, like, the, the we got it down pat. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I definitely, the first game has kind of, like, the most, I guess, the highest highs or something. Hmm. But, like, I don't know, like, there's really cool stuff in the... See, but by that time, like, Xenosaga 1 was, like, pretty highly anticipated. I remember it being, yeah. like, one of the big big games that was coming out that year definitely and by the time xenosaga episode three came around it was kind of like eh. yeah, yeah i was excited thing. about it I, I don't know i was excited well about yeah but was... you played the first two i don't think so, it yeah. had the buzz the first game oh, had. No, it had the, buzz, the first one had a ton of buzz i think the yeah. second game killed the buzz in the series I've, oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah for sure i mean because it was so rushed and and, and, and well inferior. there are people who were like oh i don't know about one i mean the cutscenes are way too long etc etc et i will give it that i will give it like it and has... the battle system was murky as you guys were people describing were super into it. i remember when i wrote my review of xenosaga one that was back when i worked at GameSpy. I, I posted it online and like i got it up somehow just like you know through whatever i ended up getting a hit the embargo date and i got it up before any other site just because it was one of those i guess because it was such a long rpg and I remember the traffic on the thing was crazy. Like, people were super, super wanting to find out what was up with that game. And yeah. I think just, like, 
I don't know whether they didn't like the first game or they didn't like the second game, but whatever happened, the buzz just completely died for the third game. And, and I think it's actually sort of overlooked. It, I agree. Uh, the third game is something I started playing, but then, like, the care factor went away, as Kat was saying. Just, like, I'm not really invested in this world anymore, and I wish I was, but, you know, I was burned a few times already. And, like, I'd like to go back and play the third game again, just because it seems like the most solid Xenosaga game. And I like, to, I like to hear that music and just really good music. Yeah, I would recommend it. Uh, let's move on. We talked a lot about Xenosaga. Yeah, we yeah. did. But hey, who else is talking about Xenosaga? Nobody. Nobody. What do you guys want to talk about next? Well, we actually, have... Kat mentioned this before it started. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I think I think no discussion of, uh, of of sort of BRPGs can be uh, can can be complete without talking about Lufia. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, actually, we had a caller uh, on our last episode because we did a call in on this topic. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't know a lot about Lufia. I really don't know that much. I played I played the first two games, not to completion, but I, that's all I really know about the series. So, it's, Christian, it's or an Kat? RPG series that focuses heavily on environmental puzzles. Um, well, it's the first game. It's funny. The first game is sort of just a m- mediocre but charming. Like one thing I like about Lufia, Lufia is there's two. I think there's two kind of two elements to it. It's the the puzzle game play and 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 the charm of the characters in the story. Uh, the first game does not have the puzzle game play. It's just a Dragon Quest clone, mm-hmm. but it does have the charming characters in the story. The second game is like when people think of Lufia, they think of the second game. The second game is I the game so, that defines yeah. Lufia, and it is it's got it's, in my opinion, it's got everything. It's got uh, really appealing, charming characters, and they're not your average anime kids. They're just you know it's like a little bit aged up, you know, which is for the time you know was actually I would say the SNES you're less likely to get the kid thing than you were later on the PS1. And yeah, PS2. that's true. So it's like a little bit more mature. Now, I'm not I'm not promising you know Gears of War here or whatever, but it's like you know in that mature kind of way, but it's like, you know, like the, the main character is like a dude who's like lives on his own and, you know, he already has a job. He's like a, you know, he's a guy. Hmm. And, and as a girl who's like got a crush on him and it's like realistic, not in that anime, like, Oh, it's the girl next door. And oh, she kind right, of is yeah. the girl next door. But the point is it's, there's, she doesn't, you know, it's not, I don't know. It's, it's also kind of like a roguelike in its own way. Cause it has that like hundred floor dungeon, right? Well, yeah, it's got the, it's got some, it's got, it does have a, a little, it's kind of like, yeah, like Zelda meets rogue, but not, but isn't quite, quite neither. Um, yeah. It's got the, the, you know, you move one step, the enemies move one step, but when you encounter them, you, you go into like a regular, like, and pretty a bog standard, uh, you know, 16-bit yeah, RPG battle was system. Anything remarkable about that? That's the battle system is nothing remarkable about it. But the uh, the what is remarkable is the dungeons have are just you know like really fun puzzle dungeons. Yeah, I do remember that. I mean, it's like I I think they might have been too hard for me as a kid though because I I rented the game maybe didn't get too far and it just it's because, a like, challenging game. I hate pushing blocks to this day. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I, if you don't hate pushing blocks, and, and, and it, it, like when you're pushing blocks for a good cause, like if you like if you like pushing blocks in Zelda rather than pushing blocks in like I don't know some game that just you know throws some like, blocks at you. I'll play Zelda over uh, Lolo any day. Yeah, just like that's the level of block pushing. Piling I'm not boxes ready. on top of one another, more boxes, more yeah. boxes. I think Lufia too is, is just sort of one of the un, like it's really one of the in my opinion the unsung gems of the it 16-bit has, uh, era. It has a very strong cult following, um, but it never really followed up on it, unfortunately. 
unfortunately. It did. I mean, it didn't because like there was a Game Boy Color one that I hear is pretty terrible. Yeah, the and, Game Boy uh, Color one is... and a GBA one. Yeah. So the thing that happened. Oh, GBA. I think. I'll yeah. tell you. Yeah, okay. I can tell you all. Go about for it, it, Christian. Let's. I guess lay, I'm going to. I'm sorry, everyone who's tired of my voice because I know about Luffy. No, that's why you're here. I mean, you guys are like the repositories for JRPG knowledge. So yeah. So basically, what happened is like you know, I said Taito was the company that. That published, so they're made by a company called Neverland, which still exists, and they actually make the Rune Factory games. Okay. The oh. Harvest Moon Rune Factory games. I did not games. know that. Uh, and Neverland, you know, so here's the, the, the quick history of Lufia. There was Lufia 1, Lufia 2. Lufia 2 actually was really popular for Natsume. Natsume, you know, at that point had just put out Harvest Moon and was like looking for their next sort of thing. And they, uh, they got a really strong response. I mean, it didn't sell super well because you know, it was late Super Nintendo game, but but it's got a strong fan response, so they wanted to capitalize on it. Taito, on the other hand, I don't think really cared too much. Oh. So, hmm. so uh, Natsume actually commissioned the GBC. The next Luffy game to come out was the, the GBC one. But was that, it? Oh, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I thought you said GBA, but no, you didn't. No GBC. Yeah. The GBC. GBC one was 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 uh, is is not that great of a game. I was actually supposed to review it for EGM. That was back when. Back when EGM had three people reviews, but they still also did, if a game was unpopular, they did like a one-person review for it. Mm. But then, like, it was deemed so unpopular that the review was cut. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> from the issue that it was supposed to be in, so I never ended up reviewing it. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's so the big problem with the set, you know, okay, so what was great about Lufia 2 was the puzzle dungeons. What does Lufia GBC have? Randomly generated dungeons with no puzzles. Oh, man. You know what? That that came out in an era where RPGs were lousy with randomly generated dungeons. It yeah, was well, like... it was a portable game. It was you know it was a GBC game in 2001 or something. We're talking also very quick, yeah. you know, pretty late. Uh, what it did have was still had the charming story and characters. And what it also had was uh, actually they made vast improvements to the battle system, made it way more interesting. And it was really weird because you had like more than I think you had, I think you had like nine characters or something. It was like really oh, wow. overly complicated. And I mean, it wasn't overly complicated in the sense that it was like hard to follow, but right. it was like you know unusual. And then um, also, so Lu- they announced a Lufia game for the PlayStation One, which actually Natsume played a teaser video for at E three ninety nine, which never came out because the published the Japanese publisher, which was not Taito, ended up going bankrupt. Uh, that's a little known, and I have a couple photos of that on my Flickr. Cause Are I you allowed ex- to say which publisher it was? They're called Nihon Flex. They're okay. no one you've ever heard of. Yeah, I haven't. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's just it was just one of those things. Like I remember, like uh, I was so super hyped for like Luffy two. I loved so much, and they announced Luffy three, and I was like, oh my god, it's called Ruins Chaser. It was the subtitle. What was that going to be for? Which system? PlayStation one. Oh, okay. okay. And it was announced, and 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 like the the uh, the there was like. No real information about it, and that was back on the web. Was like you know, I mean, that was like 1999, so the web was not quite what it is today. And and uh, so yeah, Natsume had a teaser video of it at E399. Um, that was just like hand drawn art, like scrolling um, mm. over like a, a backdrop, and it had a, a song that was composed by the guy who composed the Luffy 2 soundtrack. And actually, you could download the song from his website, so I still have the MP3 of that. Can you send it to me? It's super good, yeah. Please, I'll put it in the show. Yeah, it's, okay. uh, yeah just remind me. Okay, I'll do that. Awesome. So you might be hearing this uh, very soon. Uh, 
and uh, I cannot remember his name, but yeah, and I have that MP3. I listened to it like a million times because I was super excited. And then, you know, it was one of those games you're following it, no news, no news, no news, and it's dead. Hmm. And then um, there was Lufia for the GBA, which was made by, not made by Neverland. It was made by a company called Atelier Double. Oh. And basically what they did is this company looked at Lufia 2, cloned it, uh, including all the flaws, uh, put in some stupid kids instead of interesting characters, and then, like, made the game kind of slow and clunky on top of, like, how slow and clunky 16-bit RPGs already were. So it was kind of like a, a Lufia 2 ROM hack. Oh, it was really <laughs> it was really disappointing. Like, and then really they had a pretty lousy DS port as well. Yeah, people were hyped for that. I mean, DS Lufia remake, fans, sorry. Yeah, yeah. That was the, it was kind of exciting, yeah. They announced the DS remake, uh, and it was a remake. It's a remake of Lufia 2. As an action game, and it was announced by Taito, or was announced by Square Enix, because Square Enix eventually bought Taito. Oh, you're right, yeah. And the thought was like, oh my god, maybe Square Enix is going to, you know, because, you know, like, Taito didn't publish many RPGs, as far as I know, this was pretty, this was pretty much their only ongoing RPG franchise over the years. Um, but Lousy touchscreen controls. But they, uh, <laughs> they, they, so everyone's kind of like, oh my god, maybe, everyone being me, uh, was like, Square Enix <laughs> is going to... Oh, Square Enix some sees, fans sees there. what there, there is in Lufia, and now that they own Taito, they're like, what can we do to bring back, you know, this is a great RPG, and, and then not so much. And it was made by Neverland, but I think it was probably made with, I don't know, the wrong idea. I actually bought it, and I played it just a very little bit. Um, mm. But And it's a remake of Lufia 2, which is probably a bad idea, because that's the one everyone... I mean, it's a good idea, yeah. because it's the one everyone loves, but it's a bad idea to do a remake that people... Remake like, the one that needed to be remade, the first one. Yeah, and then add puzzle elements to it. I feel like good. the Lufia series suffered the same fate as the Mana series. I mean, you had mm. uh, a very well-received game... Um, that everyone remembers from the SNES, and then over the years, it got watered down by a lot of very bad ports and, the and spin-offs one. and whatever. Yeah, it just it just until I, you get Children of Mana. Yeah, yeah, it went it went uh, sadly. Yeah, it just Luffy went nowhere after the second game. Ultimately, I mean, the GBC game's cute, but goes. like you know, it's just it's just one of those things. You want to know another series that never went anywhere? Where, what's that? Star Segway. Ocean. Star Ocean. Hey, thank yeah. you, Kat. Thank you very much. You know. I've, uh, I find Tri is very interesting because it actually has its roots in two B level RPGs. Star Ocean and Tail the Tales series. Okay, Tales right. of Fantasia. Okay. Yeah. Let's it's talk a, about let's talk about Star Ocean first. Because back in well, all right, Star Star Ocean, uh, it's an RPG that I've never liked because <laughs> it's ostensibly a sci fi RPG, but it's actually secretly fantasy with That's like true. elves and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, if you're gonna be a sci-fi rpg go all out here give me my spaceships but no it seems like every game they crash to the underdeveloped medieval planet with elves that is a habit of theirs that's exactly i mean i i don't know i don't know where it is but if you go back i think i can't remember if it was one up yours or uh or whatever the predecessor you know like one of the old one up podcasts like i was playing whenever star ocean 4 came out which is the one for 360 and ps3 so uh that's not till the end of time that's uh the last hope yeah because yeah, it was the like last. the last hope for jrpgs or whatever that, yeah. that, that joke was made plenty of times uh, yeah. but uh, you can but it go, was a prequel you can find mm. a vitriol spewing like me dominating <laughs> the entire discussion like take like Takedown of Star Ocean Four. I actually remember that episode. So I'm gonna I'm gonna skip it this time. If anyone's really curious, I can I can always dig it up and like cr- crop the uh, audio and slap it I in here. But played... I won't do that to you, Christian. I'll let, I'll let them look it up. I went and found Star Ocean because I really enjoyed Valkyrie Profile, hmm. yes, which is yes. uh, probably Trius's only really truly great game. I mean, you can make an argument for uh, 
Resonance of Fate. I know it has a lot of fans. I would say, um, uh, I, I, I would think Valkyrie Profile is a better game. I think yeah. Valkyrie Profile is probably held in one is, better is, regard. Yeah. yeah. And, and unfortunately, too, also good. But. And it's also another series that kind of got lost in a hell of spinoffs and stuff. It did. But let's stay on Star Ocean. We can move to Valkyrie Profile. Uh, so. But I went back to Star Ocean and I played it and it bored me within like two seconds. Which mm-hmm. one? Uh, I ended up playing Till the End of Time. Yeah. And so. yeah. Uh, I found the writing terrible. Uh, the opening sequence gave me hope, but then they crashed on the planet. Yeah, you did not and, miss a lot. Uh, and then, of course, I found out that it's all—it was all a, actually a simulation. And oh no, spoilers! Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, hey I guys, it's been like how many years now? Spoilers, whatever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you can spoil to an extent. I remember actually, it's funny. I remember like I was working at GMR when that game came out, and I reviewed it, Stars and uh, Three, till the end of time. I was like, I was beyond okay. So, Starship <laughs> 1 didn't come out in America. It was Super Nintendo. Starship 2 did came come out. out. It was for PlayStation. Right. It was buggy. I started it, and it had, like, the most god-awful boring beginning, which is, like, one of Trice's, like, signature moves. <laughs> that beginning is rough. Like, I, I enjoy Starship 2. It's really junky. There's a lot, but I like that there's a lot going on in that game and a lot of ways to break it, but that beginning is rough. Just, like, this pastoral village with, like, this this dreamy, sleepy time music that keeps playing, and you're like, I want to get to a battle. Please, come on. Get me out of this village. It's really it's really slow, and, yeah. and, uh, and, and it's got really bad really annoying character voices and mm. battle they're screaming all the time and, yeah and um and then i don't know i just couldn't get into the second game and then the third game like they like i saw it and i just thought it like looked amazing just like you know super super gorgeous i was hyped for it as well i had a trius's kind of signature sort of actiony battle system yeah except it's broken as yeah. all hell like yeah. so i was super hyped for it and you know i played i played it i reviewed it for gmr i remember talking to scooter when he hit the uh Hit the plot twist and just he was like completely dumbfounded. It was hilarious. Oh, it was hilarious. To I didn't talk know Scooter to. had uh, had played that game. Yeah, I have yeah. to talk to him about it. Yeah, that plot twist. What bothered me about it was not how stupid it was because it was really stupid. What bothered me about it was how it nullified the thirty hours of work you had put into that game. Like you know, you know which you know, was work. You know all that stuff you did before. It doesn't matter because that, that's not real. It's like now now you're in real world. It's like why did why was I hauling ass around this medieval dun, dun, boring dun, planet for so as, long? I don't know. It was the same as the Matrix basically. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like. I mean, it didn't. Uh, for me, the problem wasn't. I mean, for me, the problem was that the battle system was like really frustrating and boring because of like the fact that, like, the collision with the enemies and when you yes. could hit them yes. was really wonky. It wasn't wonky in the sense that it like, was inconsistent. It was consistent. It was just really stupid. Like, whenever an enemy was in like certain animation points, you just they were just invincible basically. Mm-hmm. And like, if your animation, if you weren't like super careful, like your animation would like you'd be in the middle of like a like an animation for your attack, and you'd be in the wrong spot when they were vulnerable, and it just took forever, and it was super boring. And you could get these like really great experience bonuses if you did everything super perfectly right, but it was super hard to do everything super perfectly right because it was, it was a pain in the goddamn ass. And just <laughs> I re- like that was a game that like I mean, it's got good elements in my opinion. It's got a lot of good elements, but it just it doesn't come together. And then and then four was a clusterfuck. So I don't really. Have a lot of time uh, while we're shitting anymore. on this game, I can I can shit on it some more. Uh, I remember you have AI companions in your battle system, right? You can only control one of the characters, and you can you can level up your your uh, your AI's attack power and defense power. What you're actually leveling you're actually leveling up how smart the AI is for those characters when you level up their attack and defense, which seems like total crap to me because I don't trust AI to begin with. Yeah. You know, and I don't trust like. Just give me command, okay? Yeah. I don't want the AI <laughs> controlling it. I I assume that it's for people who really haven't played an RPG and no, don't want to deal with it. I, I think it's for the I mean it's for the fact that you know all these games all the Triace derived games essentially except for Valkyrie games 
you know, the rest, it's, you're controlling one, one person and the rest of the party is running by itself. That's mm. just how they are. That's how the Tales games are. It's how the Star Ocean games are. I think it's just because they're action-based. Yeah. And you can't, you know, you switch between them easily, though in 4 you can... You could do it in the Tales you games. Can, you can right bumper between, right and left bumper, I believe, between people in Star Ocean 4. The point is, you can do it in Tales, but the point is most of the time you're not. Yeah, it's mm. too much work. Um, so... But the thing is about AI and RPGs, and this is kind of an overarching discussion in my opinion, is they always make it stupid. Like, it's really obvious, like, except for, you know, until, like, Final Fantasy XII was like, hey, not only, I mean, let yes. alone letting you program it, which helped a lot, but also, you know, they just, the foundation of the concept of the AI in twelve was not to be totally stupid, though. Right. Sometimes the guest characters were. But the point is, like, I think the developers always thought if they made the AI not incredibly stupid, it would make the game too easy, but it just, like... No, just don't. Like, don't make the AI stupid. Make it do the right thing. Like, yeah. if I were controlling this AI, it, like, if this character was under my direct control, I would make it do the right thing. So why don't you make it do the right thing, game? And there's never been... AI algorithms are hard to program. Well, no, it's just they're, they're programmers. Get on the ball. Yeah. You know what? That that game had the most, like, foreshadowy main character name, Fate Line God. Yeah. Oh, gee whiz. I wonder if he's special anyway. Yeah, yeah. I like how they spell it F-A-Y-T in the U.S. version just to oh, try yeah, to like, sort of, hmm. just try to sort of subtract, like, third, like, just like, huh, I didn't realize. Like, like maybe a few seven-year-olds won't understand. Well, yeah. in Japan, maybe not. Yeah. So. But, I mean, they, they had, they had planned, I mean, the name was obviously not just random chance. No, it's not as bad as Edge Maverick in 4 Jeez, Edge Maverick. Oh, oh right, yeah. <laughs> Edge Maverick. Yeah, I always want to give Trice the benefit of the doubt. Because, I don't. Yeah, you know. Christian, I can say I, I like Residents of Fate. It took oh, yeah. me, Actually, I gave it a C plus, I think, last year. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because they made what was for a long time my favorite RPG ever. So Valkyrie mm. Profile? Well, let's talk about that, Kat. Seems yeah, like, back, I lo- Actually. Oh, go for it, Christian. I was going to say, despite being a tri hater, which is mostly based on the fact Starship 4 was like a kick in the nuts. Like, mm. And 3, too. Love Valkyrie Profile. Okay, okay. Valkyrie Profile. let's talk it's, about it. It's a classic. I, unfortunately, I have not ever finished the game. Oh, yeah? I've dabbled. It was at a time in my life where I wanted my gameplay the, like playthroughs to be perfect. Like, I don't want to miss this character. Well, that, I don't want to miss this game, item. And that, oh, yeah. It's impossible. You don't want to miss it. I mean, you, like, just, just the, the... I forget what the dungeon is, but there's a dungeon that, you know, like... The, like the treasure chests evaporate as you're going through it. Yeah, In yeah. every chapter. So, like, the no. faster you take, like... I mean, the slower you take, the fewer treasures you get. So, like, missing items in Valkyrie Profiles, basically, not like, not missing items. Is, you, you can have break to be, like, stuff, too. You have yeah. to be on your, like, you know, fifth, I'm a genius, I've memorized this game playthrough to not right. miss items. And I, I've become game. a better person after, in those years, and I think I can go back and play it again, because now I realize, like, hey, it's okay to miss things. I like the game Riviera because it was like that. It's like, choose your own adventure. You're going to miss something. You're always going to miss something during the game, and I, and I kind of like that now. Uh, in true Triace fashion, the opening to Valkyrie profile is like an hour long and it also is pretty long. boring. Yes, it's boring too. I mean, you're seeing like Lennis just like randomly in a wedding dress going, wow, how nostalgic. And there's <laughs> sleepy time dream music yes. playing. No, no, and the there, she is... gets her mission from Odin. Mm-hmm. And then you get to meet some random warrior who's protecting a spoiled princess. And you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Though the setting is so much cooler than Star Ocean. That's that, true. That it does make, and the character does and then like, slow, character art. But yeah, it builds up beautiful. to this kind of crescendo, right? Where she ends up, like, dead because she was a monster, and he and the warrior commit suicide and joins your party. Right. And then you fight uh, you fight an enemy, and you're like, all right, now I'm really into this. And then it puts you into the first dungeon with Freya, mm-hmm. um, and Freya's, like, super powerful, and it gives you a great idea of how to use a combo system, which is basically... Not too ta- not too hard. They, it's not no. They put uh, they assign a, a character to each of the face buttons, which was very. I, I when I when I realized how they did the set of the battles, it was like, 
That's so smart. Yeah, and, and it's a lot of fun too. And yeah. the weapon and it's kind of predic- success is kind of predicated on like getting weapons that have multiple attacks so that you can build up the combo meter up to like 100 and then, and then you can attacks. purify weird soul. Those souls are weird. Yeah. <laughs> what a fun adjective to use. Like get get rid of those weird souls. And this was one of the most polished and attractive PS1 games that I have ever seen. W- it still holds holds up very well because it was very smooth, good-looking uh, 2D uh, special effect, uh, graphics, special effects. It's um, got amazing art, and it, it's not afraid to be itself at all. That's what I exactly. love about it. Exactly. Uh, do you know if the PSP version is any different? Uh, I, I've never played it. I think it they added some the cutscenes. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, as I understand it, and please forgive me, listeners, I, I don't remember hearing any major complaints about the quality of the port, um, which you know is always a problem with uh, those Square Enix portable tra- transitions. Yes. Um, we already talked about that wasn't portable, but, you know, Chrono Trigger for PS1 was kind of, you know. Um, no, I mean, that's what I love about the game. Really? It's not afraid to be itself. It's completely weird, and it's completely okay with being weird. And like you said, like... Um, it's so unique. I mean, aside from its battle system, which is pretty good, I mean, I love the fact that um, if you go into hard mode, what it does, it gives you more time to do things. Oh, okay. Um, but you get harder dungeons. I was like, it gives you completely different dungeons wow. and different characters, if I recall correctly. That is great. Like, which essentially makes it a new game. And like in any Tri-Ace game, they're just mechanics stacked upon mechanics stacked upon mechanics. And I just yeah. imagine that game at work, the program is but like... But they all came together. They did, yeah, Which is did. unlike many other tri That is true. I, I can say like <laughs> Residents of Fate... Uh, they come together if you put time into it. Valkyrie Profile, they seem to come together immediately. Well, it's another thing is, like, you know, Kat alluded to this, but one of the cool things, I mean, for me anyway, just like, you know, like you know, like she said, you know, Arngrim uh, commits suicide and then he enters your party, and you realize what's going to happen. You're like a goddess of death bringing, or, you know, bringing dead warriors to fight, you know, the, the, uh, the Ragnarok. And it's like right. every every single new scenario, it's like always interesting new characters. How are they going to die? Tragic suicides, yeah, you know, it's very, dying very in battle. Story. Getting it's, turned into monsters by curses. It's super mm-hmm. dark and awesome. And you, Dudes and, get murdered by assassins. There's this one party, right, that you follow through the whole game. And, like, they are one by one, they die and end up joining your party <laughs> until there's only, like, one of them left. Like, one of them gets turned to stone. Mm-hmm. One of them gets straight up captured and, like, killed by someone. Yeah. Uh, I, I forget what the third one. I think he was, like, in a fire or something. He might be one of the main characters. And so there's only one left. And she's like, oh, God, I'm only... <laughs> you feel real bad for her. Yeah. The, the, the one that where the kid gets turned to stone was actually one of my favorite scenarios. Hmm. The scenarios were very hit and miss. Because, like, there was this mermaid one that was so boring, and oh. it had the woman that did, does Ash Ketchum's voice. I remember that, yeah. So Actually, she's like, uh, yeah. Lapis, grant me power. And, you and he does throwing... that Ash voice, and I'm like, uh. Yeah. So, yes. Okay, in that game, I know there's just so many ways for you to kind of uh, carve your own path. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I want to I send this guy up to heaven, or whatever. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. You, have to send, you have to send people, like... You're raising these characters, you get attached to them, you think they're really cool, and they're also super good in battle, and then Mm -hmm. it's like, but we need warriors to fight Ragnarok, or Odin's going to get PO'd at you, so you have to send your good characters up, and the thing, I mean, yeah, the game keeps throwing characters at you, so it's okay, but it's like, it's a game that makes you think, like, we didn't even talk about the period system as well, where, like... That's right, I'm sorry, don't you check in with Odin, like, hey, how am I doing? like, instead of having as long as you want to do, like, every part of the game, you need, every time you go into a town or go into a dungeon, it takes, like, I think there's, like... If I recall correctly, I could be wrong. It's like there's like 28 or 30 time units per chapter. And the chapter just ends when you run out of time units. And like it takes X amount of time units to do anything. So, I mean, you can save whenever you want. So you just have to think ahead and like, what do I want to do before I spend my time? And then like, 
you know, that might be the difference between getting something or not getting something. You know what I mean? And there's a mm-hmm. finite number of things that you have to worry about in each chapter, so it's totally doable. But, like, you have to think ahead. It just does you know, it makes you think in ways that other games just totally don't make you think. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of, like, Majora's Mask. Where you have to plan out your day, plan out your route, think about your resources, think yeah. about what you can and can't do. And you have to, like, you, like, if you get super good items, like... You can keep them, or you can donate them to Odin, and it's like strongly suggested by the game in like no uncertain terms that if you get any good items, and you might want to use some awesome sword, it's like you should give that to Odin. Yeah, it's a game, but at the he same time, it's a game where if you do exactly what you're told, you'll get the okay ending, and that's that. Oh. Yeah, it's a game where you're actually surreptitiously encouraged to not do exactly what you're told and stray mm, from the beaten path, okay. because it part of it is like Lenneth is uncovering the secret of her past identity oh. and becoming more than a machine of death for the gods. Okay. So if you follow the the, the path that has been assigned to you, then eh, great, you did your job, little machine. Go back to sleep now. <laughs> Whereas uh, if you follow, uh, if you stray from the beaten path and you eventually, you don't oppose the gods, but you discover the secret of your identity and things happen, you uncover a plot uh, for Ragnarok and all that. Then you become like the goddess of all creation. Oh wow! Um, so are there a lot of different endings? Like we didn't mention this, mention this before, three. but okay. Because I was never two had... able to unlock the bad one. So oh. the bad one is like you piss off Odin to the point that Freya comes down and goes, oh, "You're broken." Mm. Um, and I tried. Oh, trust me, I set up warriors just like with no experience whatsoever, and kept all the treasures mm. and everything and. They would yell at me, and the war would be going really badly. Um, but they never came and killed me, which oh. always disappointed me. <laughs> I know. I know. Star Ocean Two was uh, okay. It was like the RPG arms race, as we mentioned earlier in your podcast, I think. And it was um, there were like eighty endings, but really they weren't real endings. It was like here are a bunch of different vignettes you can get depending on yeah. you know who likes who or what you did or whatever. So, private actions. Yes, exactly. Private actions. I think Final Fantasy Nine did that too. No more mm. Final Fantasy talk. The end. Uh, so more more Valkyrie profile. Do you want to say anything else? Well, let's uh, talk about Samaria, probably. Uh, Samaria, I found very interesting, but I felt like it lost a lot of the charm of the original. Mm-hmm. Samaria was really overlooked. I mean, it yeah. came out at a ba- It came out. Samaria came out. Oh, six. It came out between Dirge of Cerberus, which you know, say what you want about that game, but people bought it. They did. And and twelve. Yeah. So like, it, it was just very got, overlooked. It just got, it got you know, it got fucking steamrolled. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond overlooked. Like I don't, but like it's. I mean, I think that Samaria. I mean, is the best looking PS2 game. It does look uh, really good. Them, yeah. I would say that uh, Metal Gear Solid Three and probably Shadow yeah. of the Colossus, if you discount the frame rate. Yeah. They, they're probably on the same uh, level. Samaria is just amazing. It was looking. a lot more sedate than the original Valkyrie Profile. The original Valkyrie Profile has still one of my favorite soundtracks mm. um, ever in a video game. Yeah, it's true. It does have very very good soccer um, soundtrack. But Sumeria's soundtrack was not very good at all. It was mm. it was not memorable in the least. And I found the main character Alicia pretty boring. Mm. Um, and it was, it was kind of a it's kind of like Chrono Cross in that it takes one tiny element from the original game story and spins it off into its own thing. Oh, okay. Because in the original Valkyrie profile, you go to this like underground or the the king of the underworld's castle, and you see Sumeria in a crystal, and you're like, well, that's a Valkyrie. Um, but then you find out her story in this game. Oh, wow. That's, and that's that she was, like, opposing Odin and doing her own thing. I, I feel bad for not giving this game a chance, but 
it really throws that super complex battle system at you from the from the get go, and it's it's not explained very well. But that but once you figure it out, it's very rewarding. Exactly. Like I was not forced to review that game. I was forced to review Which Residents of Fate. One? Uh, second one. Yeah. Like I was forced to review Residents of Fate, so I had to figure it out. And then eventually, when I did, it was so rewarding. One of my favorite battle systems of all time. I think if I go back to play Valkyrie Profile Two, yeah, the same game. thing will happen. Samaria is one of my favorite battle systems. Of okay. All time. I want to go back. I, I mean, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I actually reviewed it as well. But I, it didn't catch me the way the first game did. Mm. Then again, you know how it is with like you know a game you love having a sequel. It's like really hard. To yeah, play. exactly. Um, yeah, I made it all the way to the end and, and won, and it like tied up a lot of loose ends hmm. uh, from the original game. That I was like, oh, all right, fair enough. But um, and then it kind of got into the DS spinoff hell with uh, a tactical RPG that that was good. Yeah, I thought you liked that. Had a lot of very I, interesting ideas. I know you wrote about a lot. Of, um, me a lot about I enjoyed it. it. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. I, that's another case where you are given uh, a mechanic. Mm-hmm. In this case, this feather that you're supposed to use to superpower a character, and then after that, they die. Yeah. And you're like, all right, uh, well, desperate times call for desperate measures, and I don't like you very much, so I'm going to use this feather. But as soon as you do that, you're doomed to the bad ending. Oh, Jesus. Use it once. <laughs> use it once. That's not fair. It's not fair, right? Man. But it's like, oh, it's this temptation. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't think the central mechanic worked that well. As a, It had a lot of interesting ideas, though. Okay. Interesting ideas. Well, that was Valkyrie Profile. I am, I think I'm going to go get the PSP version. I really, now that you guys have been talking it up, I feel like I need to go back and give it a chance. Now that I'm, I'm an older person and I, I'm like, I can miss things in a game. It's okay. Mm. I'm not going to 100% it. I never was going to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, someday I'll beat the Seraphic Gate, which is the big bonus dungeon. Oh, that's a try staple. And it's uh, really hard, but it's doable. to another franchise we probably have time for like maybe one or two more before we yeah. move on here i don't uh, know i look at this list of stuff and and uh, i mean like each one could be a separate podcast yeah, but that's so. a lot of research especially for wild JRPGs. arms hey i can talk me some wild arms now wild arms was interesting because wild it came out it came out before final fantasy 7 mm-hmm. yeah i could list actually the, the pre-final fantasy 7 rpgs for the ps1 were sweet in one which we're not talking about persona one which we're not talking about in wild arms pretty much and, uh beyond the beyond and beyond the beyond. and why yes, let's not wild, talk about that one either wild <laughs> arms reasons. was yeah. this crazy hybrid of a 32-bit and a 16-bit rpg i think it's a lufia 2 clone i think jeremy described it as like lufia meets final fantasy 6 but it had really horrible 3D graphics. I don't it remember did. that much. It but did. it had no, they were great normal. music. Oh my god, the music was so good. The music in the uh, Wild Arms franchise is way better than it deserves to be. Yes, exactly. It's way better than and it deserves to be. And it has a phenomenal opening scene. Uh, yeah, they always have great opening movies. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean well, the first, the first one is like just really iconic. I think we can all hum or whistle that. Please don't. But, uh, I mean, isn't it just amazing? And I'm, I think the original version was a uh, had lyrics. And I mm. think they were smart to cut those out, you know. I like the characters. Um, the, I mean... It's okay. It, like, story-wise, it's okay. Game-wise, yeah. it's okay. It has it's aliens. a decent game. It's oh, hard. It has aliens. Okay. 
It was hard. It was and hard. I never robots. finished it. Oh yeah, robots. Yeah. yeah, it had a lot of like re- weird. It got crazy very ideas. science fictiony. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, people always claimed it was the Western RPG, but not really. Uh, as a Western, like Old West. I think three was the only one to really carry that aesthetic throughout mm, the whole game. Five did it pretty. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I did play five. That's and one four... series that really went on too long. I yeah. Know. I mean, uh, that. I mean, it. Yeah, it kind of went on without uh, without direction. I mean. Two is actually I don't like. I mean, Two wasn't one, that bad. Mm-hmm. It, it got mediocre everyone, reviews. Mostly everyone played one. Like when I, I think everyone, so. you know, everyone who liked JRPGs, like everyone who liked JRPGs, Final Fantasy, everyone was like, Dutch, like about to chew their arm off waiting for Final Fantasy Seven. <laughs> so they basically everyone ran out and bought Wild Arms One. It was the game that everyone bought and played. Yeah. But then yeah. two came out and like, very few people bought and played it. That's true, and, and I can say. Uh, I bought it a few years after it came out, and I was alarmed by how how terrible the graphics were because it was a full 3D game. Yeah. And I don't know if uh, I guess it was Media Vision who developed it, right? Probably. Yeah, Media Vision, and I think, well, there's this whole thing that like I was never 100 percent able to figure out about the PS1, but like there was a certain point where Sony had all these internal studios and they all had names, mm. and there's one called Contrail that worked on a lot oh, of the right. games, yeah. and I do not know what like I don't 100 percent understand what they did, but Media Vision has always made the, and Media Vision still exists, and actually they made the Chaos Rings iPad games for uh, oh, for Square okay. Enix. They cool. still exist. That's good. Oh, to hear. wow. But, um, like, um, I'm not someone who is uh, superficial about graphics. I mean, I love old games, so, you know, but this game, it just feels like this company was not ready to make a 3D game a lot at of people this weren't. point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's the thing we see over and over again. But I, I don't know. Like, I only played, like, I want to say less than 10 hours of the second one. Mm hmm. Before I, I borrowed it from Shane, whose name always comes up in podcasts. Like oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we lived together at the time. Um, I borrowed it from Shane and I kept playing it and, uh, like, I, I gave up within 10 hours, but, like, ever since then, I've wanted to go back. Like, it stuck with me. Like, it was weird. Hmm. Like, the story was weird, and it was way more interesting to me than, like, there was something going on. Like, this is one of those games, it, like, whenever the name comes up, it, like, itches the back of my mind. Like, I should go back. And it's on PSN now. It's like, I should go oh, back right. yeah. and play Wild Arms 2. So. I liked it for a long time, but, I, I mean, for a long time, I, was, I considered myself a Wild Arms fan because of the first game, even though I never finished it. But uh, it just kind of fell out of my kind of fell out of my mind as time went on. Hmm. The series in general, you mean? The series in general. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people feel that way. Like yes. the third one, I never played the third. one. It was one. kind of a letdown. Like it was cell shaded. It looked really neat, but it was just. It, I guess the game wasn't there. But the they four- re- they remade it, right? The third one. They they remade the first one for PlayStation. Yeah. It was like called XF or something like that. Yeah. Something yeah. weird. Uh, I can say oh, for PlayStation Two. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Oh God. So well, I forgot about any XF. Good. Oh, I, I don't no, know. it's it not. It's bad not. Reviews. It's not. It's not. Oh it's God, really it's bad. Not. Christian is not over uh, overstating the Oof. facts. Yeah. Like I, I, I tried playing through it. Uh, and the hilarious thing about it also is that like. So, Sony is the publisher of the games... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, no, I want to hear this. Sony is the publisher of the games in uh, in, in Japan, and they published 1, 2, and 3 in America. Mm-hmm. And XF was licensed by, um, I want to say, like, Age Tech or somebody like that. Age- uh, that. That name does sound familiar. And I just remember, it was one of those games that took, like, you know, like, like why isn't this out? Why like And, it like, I think that, like, it came out, like... Wait, I think it's Alter Code F, and like the Alter PSP one is like X oh, yeah, something. XF, yeah. XF is the PSP strategy right, game, right. Hex Grid, which I never played. That was put out by Xseed. Uh, I can't speak to that game. I've heard it's good. Yeah, I but that's all it. I can say about it. Uh, but yeah, Alter Code F, like, like I remember it came out like after Wild Arms three in America, even though like it was released before in Japan or something. Like it, it took forever, and it's it's fucking awful it's really ugly it's incredibly ugly it's too. a bad remake yeah. it doesn't it like it has no charm it's really sloppy looking yeah it's just ugh. Hmm. and uh 
Three I never played, so I, I don't have anything to say about three. People liked it. Some people liked it. I remember it got kind of kind of, and it was last time Sony did one, so I guess it, you know, they weren't happy with how it performed in, in yeah. America. But but I, I can say I really like four. Yeah, and we're gonna good. have a, a discussion about like uh, recommending an RPG, and I'll just do it early because four. I rented out of a curiosity. I'm like, okay, what is Wild Arms up to? Like, and to me, and I wrote about this uh, a while ago. I forget for who, but. It seems like at that point, uh, the developer knew, like, we're not going to be Final Fantasy. We don't have the money for this huge scope. Let's make an RPG, a really good one, within the confines of our budget. And they did that. I mean, there are lots of really weird ideas, like platforming, but it's just an incredibly intuitive, and there's a really fun battle system. A little bit of strategy involved, not too much. But, I mean, it moves really, really fast. And as I said, uh, as Kat was saying, and uh, we were talking about earlier, it has a really, really good soundtrack. And I put some of the songs from that soundtrack in our last podcast. Yeah, um, I would just say with 4, like, you, you, you hit it on the head. Like, I think that... Yeah, what's great about... I mean, the 4 is, a, is not, like, the best story ever, but it's still an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting characters. Um, it's super fast-paced and super user-friendly. So, like... And the platforming, which the platforming is not... It's not, it's not like, Mario Galaxy, but it's, oh, like... No. It livens up the game. And what really pissed me off about 5 is that 5 is, like, the same engine as, as 4 and has the same battle system. And it still has the... Pla- like, the jump button still works, but there's no platforming. They took yeah. it all out. And it's, like... But four is just—I don't know. Four is like if you want to play a game in the Wild Arms series, it's the one I'd probably recommend. It is. It's point. like it doesn't go on too long, and it's probably like maybe th- it's less than thirty hours. But yeah. still, I mean, every bit of it is just packed with content. The, mo- the story moves really fast. It doesn't really belabor anything, and like, yeah. great music, uh, great battle system. I can go on, but yeah, I it just, just goes. It moves at a nice clip. It's a fun. It's a fun game. Like I remember, like you know, I, at this point, I was a little bit cynical about you know. I oh, me it, too. Yeah. And I just picked it up, and it's like you know, this game is refreshing. I yeah, know, like it's it's I like it a lot. Four is good. I actually wouldn't mind starting it over again, just because like yeah, because I know that if I play it, it's just gonna it just move it. Like I said, the platform is not great, but it's there and it's fun. It's and a nice little added bonus. Like here's something else for you to do. You know, yeah. before you know while it's, you're waiting for battles. And to the kick battle in. system, like I mean, and, you know, some people might say this. I don't know how people feel about this, but you know, in that game, if you like die, it's like Final Fantasy Thirteen. You just retry from the beginning of the battle. You don't yeah. have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah, they were very forward so thinking with that. You can just try again, and since it has, you know, some, I mean, the strategy is relatively simple once you figure it out, but, like, this, the point is, it just, I don't know, it just, it goes, it just chugs along, and it does, it does have some of the Western feels kind of more pronounced in that one than, than some of the other yeah, ones. Yeah, definitely, and uh, you talked about Five, I don't want to go on too long about Wild Arms, but Five uh, was much more ambitious, like, incredibly ambitious for that series, and maybe that's what killed it, because uh, it just didn't go anywhere afterwards, it just... What killed it for me in five was, I guess you said the uh, the platforming wasn't there, which is what I really liked in four. Mm. And the characters are pretty loathsome and repugnant. Yeah, it's I like idiot children. We're back to like just like totally stupid idiot kids again. Yeah, yeah. I mean the second one. I mean the four, the fourth one was like precocious kids, like you know, like angsty precocious kids. It's like, and this was like, like I don't know. But the thing, the the actually, I would say the character, like the only good stuff about five the character models are really cool and really detailed in certain mm-hmm. ways the little mini cutscenes that happen all the time and also the uh like the special attacks uh like that you do during battle with the two with the with the two main characters particularly oh, like, right, like yeah. they join up and stuff are, are really uh i don't know for some reason the beginning <laughs> of my relationship with my boyfriend we kept always saying trigger rondo which is oh, one of the right yeah things because we were being cute together. I'll give it this. It has a world map, and I like world maps. And it's a world map you can explore and find treasures in. But it's a boring game. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't play it more than, I don't know. Like, especially coming after Wild Arms 4, I was like, oh, why'd you do this? Yeah, I was like, excited about it. Because I like cause Wild Arms 4 was such an unexpected gem hmm. that when Wild Arms 5 was like, oh, it's the same battle system. Like, they've got, and it's still got the same everything. It's it's it, They've got it figured out. It's going to be good. And then, it, I mean, I played it probably for like, I don't know, like 10 hours. And I just like, yeah, I, same cannot, here. I cannot take this game anymore. Yeah. 
period. Well, Christian, I'm glad that you like Wild Arms 4. I thought it was crazy. I have not heard anyone talk it up aside from me. So thank you very much for confirming my sanity. Kat? Yes? Uh, you seem to be out of the Wild Arms discussion. I'm sorry. Uh, no. Christian and I were just sharing a moment. I played the first one. I was just surprised that like you guys were like, oh man, Wild Arms 3, 4, and 5. Uh, I would just say 4, right? Yeah, just yeah. 4. Right? 4 is like an unsung, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to say classic. Well, definitely but... go check it out. It's not a classic, but it's a hidden gem. It know? feels like... Uh, it's re- it was not really reinventing the RPG, but it was like here here's a new way to do an RPG that's not as tedious as like what you would expect. Yeah, yeah. I guess I dipped a toe into the Wild Arms franchise, and then that was about it for me. Mm. We can say try four cat if you have time. Sorry. Try four Wild Arms four All right. if you have time. If I have time. I'll let you, Kat, choose the last, our last topic. Is there anything else you want to talk about? That's uh, maybe it couldn't. Can we something... talk about a bad BRPG? More yes, like... of course. Some, I mean, a lot of these ones we've been talking about have bad installments in the franchise. So, how about Legend of Dragoon? Oh no, I've actually never played it. Which... Yeah, I, I can't talk about it either. I mean, yeah, it feels it... like it's weird. By all accounts, I should have played it. I was playing every RPG ever at that time. I was off of it. It's the bad. Hmm. Well, justifiably, because it wasn't a very good game. Was there basically? Wait. It's oh, uh, a. Sony looked at the popularity of the Final Fantasy series and was like, we want to do that. Mm -hmm. And then they did it. But not very well. The graphics were pretty terrible. Um, Had a very simple battle system, which was predicated on turning into super-powered dragoons that Mm -hmm. had a very fancy... Power Rangers. Power Rangers. (laughs) Really? Okay. (laughs) Okay, you were Power Rangers. Had a super-fancy transformation. And uh, that was about it. And they had a special attack. And I'm sure it was on 20 discs. And it was the first time that I really became self-aware as kind of an RPG fan because, you know, I was like in high school. I, I, I wasn't too aware of like your cliches, but I started to see the cliches in Legend of Dragoon in the way that the villain was presented and they had the tournament. And of course, at the end of the tournament, you had to fight the, the superpowered villain who looked a little like Sephiroth, if I recall correctly. <laughs> of course. And I was like, wait a minute, they lifted this straight from Xenogears. Not thinking uh, the concept of a tournament where you meet a superpowered bad guy is like... Like in every, in in every RPG, yeah. But at the time, I was like, wait a minute, this is a cliche. Hmm. And if I was thinking that when I was like 16, then damn, that game was cliche. Yeah. <laughs> Was there ever a sequel? It seems no, like there no. Okay. Actually, this is funny. This game is like one of those games that um, it comes up a lot. Either like it was just on. Like I think I can't remember it was Edge. I think or some website had a list like like a week or two ago, and it was on the list of like games that should have had sequels that never did. What? And like yeah, and like this is a game that like in, like people who like it really like it, and you're going to get angry comments for us sure. on it. Because people, I'm sure, like, yeah. The people who like Legend of Dragoon, and no, in, no insult to people who like it, because, I, I mean, I wasn't there. I didn't play it at the time. I didn't play it at the time because I was warned off of it. Uh, but um, people who like it, like, really, really like it, and really have a lot of nostalgia for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I bought it at retail. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, and I owned it, but I played it and got really bored really fast, and my sister ended up picking it up. Hmm. My sister was maybe... So I'm going to get an angry comment from your sister. 10 years old at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, if I was a little... Oh, go. Go She was playing it, and she was enjoying it, and I wonder... Um, with all respect to the listeners, I wonder if people who were playing it were a bit, maybe a little bit younger. I was going to say the exact same thing. Like maybe if I was a few years younger, I would have appreciated mm-hmm. it more just because, like you said, you, you recognized the cliches after a while and you had more experience with the genre. And there were just better games to play at the that time. Too, yeah. I think a lot of people who bought it, I mean, again, I don't want to put like, you know, insult anyone, but I, probably a lot of people who bought it also like played Final Fantasy VII and then played that. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, what, if, I remember like, I mentioned Nick Maragos who works at Atlas earlier. Uh, Back then, he and Andrew Vestal and some other people uh, worked on this site called the Gaming Intelligence Agency, yes. if everyone remembers it. And of course. Very I believe great it site. was Nick who wrote the review of Legend of Dragoon and gave it a zero. Oh. And, like, Legend of Dragoon flame emails were, like... <laughs> he probably still gets them. They were, like, the Legend of Dragoon flame emails were, like, eventually people, like, people didn't give it that, that you know, that was back before anyone had the, I don't know, crassness to give games bad scores just to get attention. Like, yeah. they really genuinely fucking hated that game. Like hated it, thought mm. it was insipid and garbage, and that's why I didn't well, play it. Well, it's a it's a very cynical cash in on uh, what it they is. identified as a trend, and that's I true. find that a little insulting. But the the fan mail, I mean, the the hate mail that they got for that review, like the, it was the stuff of legends, and we used to pass them around because it was beautiful. I'll stuff. Have to ask Nick for that. Anyways, uh, listeners, if you if you don't like what we're saying, email Nick Maragos. <laughs> it's his fault. It's his fault. He put these ideas in our heads. I think we should move on though because we're running out of time. So I. Uh, I have, we have a letter section on this podcast, and oh, we have man. not been getting any physical letters lately, but I have, a, I have a personal message or private message sent to me by someone named Durger Time, mm-hmm. and he has two recommendations. I just wanted to read them to you. Um, his first one is Robotrek. He says, this was an SNES RPG published by Enix in the early to mid-90s. The story wasn't good. A teen tries to save the world and, from aliens, and the music was all right. The feature that got me hooked was the gameplay. Your teenage hero is the son of an inventor and builds robots to fight and aid him. Each robot you made could use different equipment you made, and then you can give the robots that you made executable combos that utilize these um, different pieces of equipment. And he says, I love games with customization, and this game offered enough for my young mind. Sounds pretty cool. So, Durger Time. Actually, that oh. game. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, go Thank for him. it. Thank you. Thank you, Durger Time, from Christian Nutt and Bob Mackey. I was going to say. Maybe Cat Bailey. I don't know. Hi. <laughs> yeah, that, you're, that you're thanked. Was made by Quintet. If mm, anyone remembers Quintet, yes. that we're talking uh, Act Razor, Soul Blazer, oh. uh, Illusion of Gaia, yeah, and Terra Yeah, the legacy. So, yeah, this was a, a sort of a. Out of all of the Quintet games, since it was a little weird and a little sci fi, it, it didn't um, catch as much attention. And I have to admit, I tried it at the time. Just tried it, like rented it, yeah. and, and like didn't catch me. And it's one of those games I've always like wondered, like, should I go back to it? And I guess according to Durger Time, I ought to. Yeah, and uh, I can say the localization is just god-awful, just rock bottom, the <laughs> worst. It's like kind of like uh, Harvest Moon level. And I think it was probably published by Natsume. No, right? it was Enix. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah, he said that. All Duh, I'm sorry. Game, yeah. All the Quintet games were, except for Illusion of Gaia was published by Nintendo in America, but it was an Enix game in Japan. Okay. Well, let me move on to his next recommendation because we are running out of time. He says Monster Rancher 2, which we never mentioned Monster uh, Rancher series. Yes. Uh, this game, Monster, I guess Monster Rancher counts as a B-tier series. I don't series. think, I guess it's a B-tier series. I don't really think it was an RPG, though, but keep going. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he says this game is from the late 90s and will always be bananas. I can't really recall the story of the game other than you raise monsters to fight them in tournaments. The music is also forgettable, and the battle system wasn't great. This game got its hooks in me because you could generate monsters by using other PlayStation games or music CDs. He says that shit blew my mind as a kid. After you got your crazy monster, you would raise them pretty much like a Tamagotchi, then have them fight another monster in arena tournaments. Sure, it wasn't great by any means, but it blended the ideas of Tamagotchi and Pokemon with active battles. 
this game was great for me as a kid as it was a time-consuming game that would held my attention and I wouldn't ask my parents for another game for a long while. And I can say, based on my experience, I like Monster Rancher 2 out of all the other games. It just seemed to have the most content and the most like wacky zany fun. It's a, it's I, like I, I wouldn't have thought about talking about this podcast because it's really not my mind is not an RPG. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's Monster. It's more like a sim game, like a, a sim raising battle game. I don't know what to say, but it's uh, yeah. No, I mean, I played the first one more. Like mm-hmm. my roommate and I at the time were like like. We were hardcore playing it all the first one all the time. Oh, like, it was so much fun to experiment. Like, what is Green Day going to give me? What is like Nine Inch Nails yeah. going to give me? And know? we were, you know, you know, building. Then you could raise them. I think you could breed the monsters or something. Yeah, so, or, like merge them or whatever. Like, it just I don't know. Like that, that, the, those games would have a certain something. Yeah. And that that whole idea kind of lives on in uh, our digital era with Song Summoner. Where you you generate guys based on MP3s. Wow, that's if you're in a random ass game to bring up Song Summoner as one. Yeah, for the I mean, iPod non like oh, regular right. iPod. Regular it's iPod. A, they never brought that to the I, iPhone. I don't. Did they? I don't know. Okay. I don't know if they did, but I mean that was yeah. It is a game that Square Enix made for the iPod, like with the wheel iPod. <laughs> I have it. And and based on what I remember, I think the the CD REM's monster has a really good monster on it. Ooh, that's oh. what I remember. I could be wrong though. Try it out at home, kids. Yeah, I don't know actually, which game. it was funny uh, with Monster Rancher. Like they they made a big point out of and, and apparently like if I remember from reading facts online, like this was like the Japanese versions were very in tune with this. Like they made sure to like tons of popular and interesting CDs had like generated specific monsters, mm, and some okay. of them were like you know themed around like the cd like they, they made free sure. advertising and i'm sure but, like some magazines would have like hey put the cd in and you get this special monster or whatever they did a little of bit of that with the u.s version but i remember reading an interview like with someone from uh, tecmo and they actually had like mail cds to japan if they wanted the game to like you know be able to read them oh really while those <laughs> games being programmed so yeah. they didn't do so much of that but um there are certain CDs that you can tell, like, whatever monster generates was, you know, intentional. Hmm. And there's facts online. I mean, like, and it's not just, I don't know, yeah, like, it was like, when was addic- well, they have one of those, you know, what they call a game loop now in, like, a social game. Like, it had that game loop where you'd, like, you'd get the monster, you'd raise the monster, you'd bow the monster, you'd raise the monster, you'd bow the monster. You know, yeah, you'd it's like your monsters would die. Train, and, and you'd, you'd have get, to, you would get yeah. addicted to this loop of, like, yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they would die and they would turn into, like, a gem or something. And you'd have to breed the, like, gems together or whatever. That's like, really yeah. dark. It just dies. <laughs> And, well, and it only knew the only thing it ever knew in its life was battling. It, and no, it was companionship hauling and hauling shit. Yeah, <laughs> you could send them off on missions. So like, I want to build my thing's intelligence. I'll go like throw a book at it or something. I forget what happens. <laughs> but uh, each, yeah, it was fun little animation stuff like that. So hey, thanks, uh, Durger Time for writing in. Thank you. And if you want to write in, we prefer physical letters because, like I said, this is a retro podcast. So please send them to Retronauts, care of Bob Mackey, IGN.com, six twenty five Second Street, third floor. San Francisco, California, 94107, do it today. And like I said, if you send something in, we will probably read it because we don't get a lot of stuff. So, hey, send some stuff in, dudes. Yay. So, you guys, we each have, let's, let, I'll give you a minute each. Please recommend an RPG to our listeners. Cat, I'll let you go first. Uh, like a modern RPG? Uh, B-list, preferably like on the, on the subject, just like a B-list, maybe retro, maybe not. Uh, play Valkyrie Profile, kids. Valkyrie Profile, hey. You can probably find it on Amazon for a reasonable price um, if you look. I mean, the it, only on reason, the, it's oh. considered very rare, but the reason that it sells for so much money is because, um, like, if you have the jewel case and everything. Okay, yeah, But if course. you just get, like, the discs or something. Or then, the PSP version. Or the PSP version. Oh, yeah, version. that's probably, that has to be on PSN, right? Is the original game on PSN? No, it's not on okay, PSN. Okay, it should be. It's on PSP. It okay, should be. Yeah. Um, it's an excellent RPG, and I still have a lot of love for it, and I'm looking forward to replaying it so okay. go, go ahead uh christian i will shout out a game that like was on your potential list of topics because we can get to touch on it and i would love to talk oh, about go it for briefly it. yeah shadow hearts covenant 
Oh, okay. I love you. We just talked about Shadow Hearts on the last podcast. I love Shadow Hearts. Uh, the, 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 uh, two and three. Uh, two more than three, but go on. Go for the, it. The second game, Shadow Hearts, which is Shadow Hearts 2 slash Shadow Hearts Covenant, is just, I don't know, is like the best non-Final Fantasy, like, like big RPG, I mean, big style, like Final Fantasy stylish RPG, I don't know yeah. how to put this, on the PS2. Like, really, it the got game, a lot of love when it came It out. really tried, you know... I don't know. It's got super fun story. I like hilarious sometimes. Like I was laughing at the yeah. story, and I don't mean laughing at it in that like this sucks way. I mean like I was actually laughing at the story. Uh, the battle system's really fun. It's got a, a wide ranging story. A really likable main character. Interesting. He's kind of a jerk, but in like a fun jerk way, not yeah. like a squall way. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's just a really good, well put together, fun, entertaining game that has Rasputin in it. And, exactly. And 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 it just. I don't know. It goes from you know, like it takes place in all over the real world. It's the real world, but there's crazy magic and werewolves and stuff. And it's, it's, it's poorly research history. Yeah, like, they didn't really care, which is great. Yeah, exactly. They, they they don't care in a good way. It's the character jerk in a good way. It's just full of I don't know. It's just it's just a really good game, and and it, it, it like I feel like. Well, it got a fair amount of recognition. I feel like a lot, probably fewer people played it than would really appreciate it, and I, that's my recommendation. Great. Yeah, I know. Uh, how do you feel about three while we're on the topic? Actually, I never ended up playing the third. Oh I, no! No, actually, I, I, I never literally. I like I played it for preview or something at the mm. time. Uh, I, I, I was interested in it. I've heard that it's not as good as the second one. It's not the the, the same mechanics are there. Uh, the story's not as interesting, and it doesn't take itself as seriously. Which is good in some cases, but also like one of your characters is a mariachi singer who uses his guitar as weapon and then also turns into a machine gun. So they obviously were getting like much much wackier with this one, which is fun, which is fine. But you know, two I think is a better game. Yeah, I mean the third one I've heard it just seemed like one of those cases. This happened a lot with the PS2, like as like like first or second game in the series, like huge budget. Hmm. Like installments, lower, lower, lower budget in obvious yeah, ways. You I can see I mean? that effect, yeah. Yeah, it seemed to happen with like a lot of the RPG series on PS2. Like they seemed to just for some reason as they sold, you know, less and less or whatever in Japan they they got, you know, less and less money thrown at them. So And you would probably know this, Christian. What happened to Sacknoth? Where are they? Okay, well Sa- well, okay, so <laughs> That's like that's a Shadow Hearts Shadow Hearts developer, by the way. Yeah, Sacknoth became Nautilus and then Nautilus became nothing. What happened is like those games are published by Aruze which is a Japanese company. And actually, so way back when From the New World came out, which is the third game, mm-hmm. uh, a TGS, um, Exceed one year, arranged a tour, and I got to go to their headquarters. And Aruze is one of those, like, giant pachinko companies that decided to get into video games. I gotcha. And then they bought SNK. And then, so Sacknoth was actually a developer for SNK. They developed uh, Neo Geo Pocket Color games, hmm. and they developed uh, the game Kodelka, if anyone remembers. Right, right. For the PlayStation 1, and that was actually published by SNK in Japan, and uh, Kodelka actually cameos in Shadow Hearts 1, the character Kodelka, the title character. Yeah, you're right. They're in the same universe. And then, like, Sacknoth became Nautilus. I don't know why they changed their name. And then, like, I never really exactly found out what happened, but I definitely looked into it because I wanted to know what happened because I like Shadow Hearts so much, and I just know that... It doesn't exist anymore. I know that they helped develop Lost Odyssey, but that's it. That's all I can remember. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah. no, that, that's what happened. A bunch of the people from them did end up going to uh, Feel Plus, which was Lost Odyssey development team, yeah. which was an AQI. And then, as far as I understand it, AQI, I mean, there's still a lot of people there, but a lot of the people are gone now, too. So I don't. Mm. I honestly don't know. You know, I can't speak of the specific fates of anyone. But Before it, this year is over, I'm going to find the Shadow Hearts director and email him. 
Yeah, good idea. Or at least the, I want to know like who was behind the, those games because I just love them so much. Yeah, 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 really great. Thanks, Christian, for bringing that up. And sorry, we did not give Valkyrie Profile the same amount of like fawning. Well, we talked uh, about. We did talk right. a lot no, about. We talked it, yeah. a lot about. It I just I, I feel we bad for about Kat it just fine because we're trading like oh my god, it's so great. No, yeah. no, we had plenty of that back when we talked about Valkyrie Profile twenty minutes ago. I think. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, I just want to give our fans some contact info. I just realized, hey, maybe you're listening to this. You don't know about One Up. You don't know about our Twitter. You don't know about our blog. So let me just dish out that information. If you want to follow us on Twitter. Hey, it's really complicated. We're at Retronauts, so follow us on Twitter. Oh my god. And we have a blog, guys. I know some of you probably aren't reading the blog, but it's great. Every time we do a podcast, I do a blog post for that podcast. I talk about what we mentioned. I give you what music that's used in the episode. It's very useful. And there's also a lot of really great writing going on in the blog aside from that. So, unfortunately, the, the URL is kind of unwieldy. It's like oneup.com slash blog slash three. I don't know what it is, but just Google Retronauts blog. You'll find, hey, bookmark it. It's great. And uh, like I said in the last episode, please rate us on iTunes, rate a review if you have the time. Uh, since I asked that, I noticed two, review- two reviews have been written, thanks a lot. One of them is slightly negative, so come on, <laughs> give me a break. I'm trying to figure this out as I go along. But yeah, I appreciate any sort of review and or um, rating. So yeah, that's it. Like I said, write in, uh, check out Twitter, check out our blog, and uh, yeah, we have lots of content for you guys. So and check out Role Players Rom. Yes, Kat, you're allowed to say that. Don't worry. Yeah. On Game Pro, don't forget. On Game Pro. On yeah. Game Pro. I, I, I'm on Role Players Rom quite a bit. Yes. We both were in Role Players Rom the most recent installment. Yeah, yeah. If you want to hear a little more uh, RPG discussion, if you want to hear the prologue to this conversation. Yes, it's a it's an incredible cliffhanger. It ends with an explosion. Yes. Uh, one of us didn't make it. Lots of talk of Solitaire Robo and Xenoblade. Yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, it's uh, brilliant. So next week is going to be a call-in episode about the PS2. Oh, man. And I can say as the host of Retronauts, I mention things I'm going to talk about, and people are always like, that's not retro. And when that happens, I want to hand them a mirror and say, look at this, you are old. This is now retro. Because the PS2 came out a decade ago. It's fair game, right? I think it might be my favorite console. I think so, too. And like, think about all the great games we were just talking about. It's the game. It's the system that I'm still playing. Unlike the Wii, it's the system that everyone had, but it's just so much more varied types of games came out yep. of it, I think. So, yeah. so guys, yeah, call in for that, and uh, it'll be a fun, fun time. So I'd like to thank again uh, Christian Nutt for coming in. And, man, we spent a lot of time talking about this, so thank you, Christian. Yeah, no worries. I know your time is valuable. And Kat, thank you once again. Of course. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye.